Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Big Bass Podcast live. Live, that's right. Not taped. Not out of a can. Absolutely live. I'm Ken Duke. And I'm Terry Batiste. It's about time we did this, huh, Ken? I mean... I think so. It's I'm only, excited it's only been uh, four and a half months, something like that. Um, and with uh, everybody telling us that we should do a live one, I think, uh, you know, it's about... Oh, no. So, oh, we had a little freeze about? there from, from Terry, I thought, for a second. <laughs> uh, we're having... Yeah, folks, uh, if you're familiar with the Big Bass Podcast, you know that occasionally we have some uh, minor technical issues. But uh, Nathan Benson, who you will hear from tonight, uh, is is the master of, of getting those things ironed out and, and, and allowing Terry and I to focus on telling the stories that we want to tell about Big, big Bass and... Uh, you know, it's uh, one of the reasons we want to do this. I'd say the main reason we wanted to do this live show is to thank everybody who's uh, who have been listening and, and supporting and, and sharing some kind words about what we're doing with the Big Bass Podcast. It means a great deal to us. Uh, yep. We really appreciate it. Can you uh, hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah, I have no... We have really bad storms rolling through Knoxville here right now. And uh, it's been... Darius King, what's up, brother? Glad to have you here. Um, good times. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, the kind is, words. It, it's, it's, you know, Terry and I are, are very, very serious. And, and uh, we always try to get back to everybody who posts a comment on one of our videos. And Nathan posts some comments, too. And uh, But this is a lot more, I don't know, a lot more personal, face-to-face, interactive. personal, intimate. Uh, and and I'm, I'm really... Looking forward to that. Brown Bait Company, appreciate yep. your support, young man, and, yep. and uh, really admire the the baits that I've seen on your site. You got some some very cool stuff. Um, yep. Yeah. So, and, and we're hoping that that it'll be interactive in the sense that we we want to hear questions from y'all, and we want to. Uh... <laughs> Good old rock go. and roll fantasy. Thank there you, you, Jr. Go. Absolutely. Uh, but we're we're really looking forward to answering any questions you might have or. Or maybe you just tell us what you want to hear about next. You know, we just yeah. finished, we just dropped the third and final episode of the David Hayes World Record Smallmouth Story and uh, gotten a really good response on that. And we're going to yep. let you, uh, hey, Alex Heimberger just finished the last episode that. So, Alex, I hope you liked it. I hope it was, uh, I hope it yep. was worth waiting for uh, all three episodes. I think all total, Terry, we probably had about almost two and a half hours of, of david hayes oh yeah it was e- because the first episode was an hour i think the second episode is about 40 minutes and the, th- the third episode was pushing i mean it was almost an hour so um yeah it was uh it was a good amount of time but the i mean the, the amount of research that went into that that series uh, you know it, it it's amazing we got into two decades and a half or two hours and 40 decades minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely decades you know oh uh, yeah people um, don't maybe realize that that's something that Terry and I have been fascinated with since we were kids. And, and by the way, we are old now. Yep. So uh, that means decades <laughs> of interest. And, and, yeah, I, was and I, I didn't realize I was interested in history until I got older. And it's like, holy shit, I lived all that stuff. You know, I was living history in the 70s, you know, uh, working at the tackle store, looking at because Bob had just boxes and boxes of old, old reels and old lures, 
you know, in the back room and, and underneath the counter and stuff. And I'd have to go in there and clean that stuff up. And it was just, he'd tell me, quit, quit fiddling with the stuff, just clean down there. Because I'd sit down on the floor and, and, and look at these old reels or old lures and stuff, and it was all getting packed into my melon somehow. Or is well, that, I, that leads into the first question, Terry. Oh, from, uh, Mr. Hey, folks, that's, that's, that's Mr. Wilson. That's Mr. That's, Wilson from that's the voice the of Nathan. <laughs> yeah, the voice of Nathan Benson, who Terry, for for my money, Nathan's got a better voice than either of us. But but folks never yeah. really get to hear Nathan. Uh, he's got the best to hear from me. He's got the best podcast radio <laughs> voice of the three of us. Oh, now God. you are the historians. They want to hear from you. Um, well, Ken, Terry, how long ago did you think of this idea of the Big Bass Podcast, and how did you know this was going to be something you wanted to do? 10 to 20 years down the line. Oh, God. Uh, to be honest with you, I've wanted to do a podcast for a long time. I know Ken has wanted to do a podcast at least for 10 years. Um, I've wanted to do one for probably, you know, the last 10 years or five, five to 10 years, something like that. Um, but there was never a, a topic that, I could cover that would be unique to the podcast industry with respect to bass fishing. And I know that Ken felt the same way. Um, and you know, so I have the bass fishing archives website, which is a website dedicated to the history of bass fishing. And it's not big fish. It's, it's all of bass fishing. Um, and if you're interested, go to just Google bass fishing archives. And the first thing that you'll see at the top is the link to the site. Um, and you know, Ken and I have been talking for years about us doing these podcasts and finally, I mean, it was what, I mean, it's almost a year ago. I think it was, it was in at ICAST or shortly thereafter last year that I get a phone call from you and it's Ken and I talk multiple times a week. Uh, and our phone conversations are a lot like what you see on this podcast. They are just uh, long drawn out. We'll, we'll deep dive into some historical portion of bass fishing. And next thing we know, it's literally four o'clock in the morning. And I got to get up in two hours to go to work. Um, but that's the way it works. But uh, he calls me up one night and, and says, hey, I've got an idea for a podcast. And I said, okay, what is it? And he says, it's the Big Bass Podcast. All right, that's cool. So what's the premise? And he explains the premise. It's like, wow, yeah, I think that's a really cool. There's nobody doing it. Um, and, you know, what better person than you can to, to do this? And he goes, no, that's the thing. I want to do it with you. And at that point, you know, I got butterflies in my stomach and my panties got wet. And... and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was. Uh, wow! I Yikes. Mean, Yikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I went there. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean it was. It was just. Uh, it, it, it made sense, and I felt honored that that he would ask me to to be his his partner. So no, is uh, that the way it went, Ken? That's the way it went. But uh, <laughs> I, I was the one honored that Terry would do it, and and just to just to give folks a, maybe a little broader perspective on how it all came up. Like Terry said, I've been wanting to do a podcast like this for a long time. I have zero technical skills, and I have zero social media presence. Um, but 
Nathan Benson, our other partner, and we're equal partners in this effort, by the way, the three of us. Um, Nathan's a technical whiz. He's got a degree in, in digital media, and he knows his stuff. And, and he can't sometimes get around issues like bad internet connections, but anything else, Nathan's, Nathan's MacGyver. You give him a, a stick of chewing gum and some duct tape, and he can figure it out. Um, and, and anyway, it was just, uh, I said, you know, this is, the, this is the dream team of doing something like this. Terry Battisti, Nathan Benson, we can make this happen. And, and Terry and Nathan didn't know each other, but I knew each of them well enough to know they would hit it off. And, and one of the great things about it is, is watching those guys become great friends in the process. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, the 1714 from Lake Murray. There you go. Uh, appreciate you, Jeremy. Wow. Would Holy that be uh, James Bates? That's James Bates's fish. Yes. And, yeah. uh, I've actually talked to Jeremy and I've talked to, uh, 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 Jeremy's dad, um, via email. Um, right after that episode posted and, and, uh, they both were real happy that, that we mentioned him and, and that fish. And, and I believe, uh, Jeremy is, I, I think you I think Jeremy's dad has the fish in his house still. And of course that so. was the California state record until Dave Zimmerly. Yeah. Broke it One, in it, 73. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that fish held the California state record for a year. Yeah, a little so, better than a year, maybe. So, heck, yeah. of, what amazing fish. Another historical fish. Jeremy, we hope to uh, uh, dig in and do a full episode on your, your grandfather's fish one of these days. We will. That would get be to way it. cool. Yeah. That would we'll be, yeah. Get to it. And, and we'll be leaning on you, Jeremy. We'll need some pictures. Yep. We'll need yep. some. Thank you. Thank you for the super chat. Definitely. Oh, yes. Thank, thank you, you so much, chat. man. Four ninety nine. That's like that's like twenty percent of what we've made so far. You just increased our it is. Our, our income by about twenty percent. So Jeremy, you have no idea. Uh, yep. Jeremy's now apparently a a, a shareholder. He's just a shareholder. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think uh, and, and Nathan Nathan probably has better diagnostics on this than I do metrics on this. Um, but uh, we made about forty bucks on the Big Bass podcast so far. Nathan, we got one from Matthew. Yeah, yeah. What about a big bass podcast from each state? And what do you mean by that, Matthew? Is that a do you want us to go to each state and do one live from there, or do you, <laughs> are you talking about a, a, uh, situation? a big bass podcast? <laughs> you know about each state. You know because uh, we're going to do that because we are going to do that. That's already in the books. Um, it just it, there's only 52 weeks in a year. Uh, I guess that means that we could. It would take us an entire year to do the whole country. Well, we just, well, no. we just burned three on uh, on one <laughs> fish out of Dale Hollow. So yeah, we're, oh, it's going to take us years. But uh oh, uh oh, yeah, Nathan, David. do you want to read that one from Stump Jack? Oh yeah, sorry. It's uh, I think Terry should be wearing a Big Bass Podcast hat on these live streams, like Ken, but it should be a cowboy hat. Thanks, thanks, there Stump Jack. <laughs> This is uh, this is yeah. one of two big can, bass podcast caps right now. I have the other one also. It's blue. Yeah, this one. yeah, yeah. He won't give any any of them out. You know, he's a hoarder, kind of like his office. We got to get some <laughs> merch. We got to get some merch. Hey, Nathan, you want to go back to that that last one about the the Hayes stuff? Yeah, are... it wasn't a question. I'm just showing some of the comments here, but I love the oh. interviews with David Hayes. Yep. Yeah, that, those um, are. 
The last Money. three episodes were awesome. It's so cool to see a giant smallmouth. That was a big, big smallmouth, Aaron, wasn't it? I mean, that, you look at that fish in his lap, and there is no question that that thing was pushing, you know, 12 pounds. I mean, it, it almost dwarfed him. Yep, it's Mr. Hayes was, a, was not a big guy. And, uh, you know, I had the good fortune of knowing Mr. Hayes for, you know, 15 years. And, um, and I had the privilege of being in his home a couple times and seeing the fish and holding the fish and all that, holding the rod and reel, holding the lure, all that stuff it was very cool. And, and as I pointed out in, in one of our recent episodes, Nathan and I were there to make those videos in 2010. Uh, so I, I, Nathan and I have been working on the Big Bass podcast for, you know, 13 <laughs> years, years, which is l much longer than Terry has. Yeah, I'm a newcomer. He's a newbie. Or yep. the FNG, as, uh, as some might call him. <laughs> Nathan is the songbird of his generation. <laughs> Not sure what that means exactly. No, neither am I, JR. <laughs> <laughs> I will uh, take it. Oh, God. Yeah, but, but uh, to get back to the, the, the state thing, yeah, we are going to be breaking down. And, and, of course, there's going to be duplicates out of, out of certain states, uh, but we're not going to be only be doing each state and its big small mouth and large mouth or whatever bass that they have. Uh, it could be Guadalupe bass when you get down into Texas, right? I mean, a one-pound, three-ounce Guadalupe bass is a giant. I mean, it's like a 15-pound largemouth. Yes, um, really you know, is. and it, it, we're going to talk about all that stuff. Yeah, uh, unless you watch the about segment, which we call episode zero 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 here at the Big Bass Podcast, maybe you don't understand the full scope of what our our plans are. But but big is a very relative term. Like Terry's yep. saying, a big Guadalupe is a tiny, large mouth out of California, but it's a, a big fish out of Texas or Oklahoma. So we, we have big, expansive plans for the Big Bass Podcast. Nathan, I love this question. Yeah, from Chris Christopher Benson, Benson, who is just not related to me as far as I know. Ken, um, <laughs> what's your most prized collectible that Terry doesn't have? Oh, my God, Christopher, what a, what a lovely let question. Me count, let me count the ways. <laughs> there, are, there are so many. It's hard to pin down what my favorite might be. Oh, it could be Walter Harden's book. How to Catch World's Record Bass. It could be... Here we go. This? Yeah. The very first Bassmaster Classic trophy? It's not a trophy. It's a figurine, it's a for crying out loud. We've been, we've been through this. <laughs> Bobby Murray has the only trophy presented at the Classic 1. Keep digging. It could be this. Oh, that's cool. The actual yeah. photograph that George Perry sent to Creek Chub Bait Company in 1934. <laughs> it, it might be that, Christopher. I don't know. So much to choose from. So much. Yeah, yeah. Ken, Ken's got so much ephemera, memorabilia. I, at the age of 59, there's no way in hell I'll ever catch up with him. Oh, and I have a just... pretty, I have a pretty sizable collection. Uh, but it's nothing compared to what I, I think. I probably have more baits than you do. I, I guarantee, because um, I never get maybe, to go fishing. I'm always researching for the Big Bass Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, Terry was Terry was here at the house just a couple of months ago. He was here working on a project that's going to be remarkably cool, and that everybody who has any interest in the Big Bass Podcast should check out. Terry's working on a documentary 
on the history of bass fishing that uh, hopefully will be completed before the end of the year. But anyway, Terry yeah. was here at the house and, and he got the, the tour of the, the, the hellish hole that I work in. Um, I've never seen anybody pack so much shit in a <laughs> 12 by 12 box that Ken calls his office. I mean, he's literally got bookshelves from floor to ceiling, and you've got what, 13 foot ceilings in that room? Yeah, they're they're high. Tall. Well, not not here, not in this room. Maybe here they're probably only 11 or so. Out yeah. in the living area and stuff, where I also have a lot of bookcases. Yeah, it's 13. It's it it it. it he's got bookcases that are double and triple stacked. Uh, and then on top yeah, of they're, that, they're two books deep, you know, yeah, there's the book yeah, you can so, see and behind it, there's another book usually. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so, I love this one. I love Brown this one. Bait company, Brown bait company. What episode was the most fun for you guys to make? Terry, you're up. You're, uh, my, uh, Oh yeah. All right. You got probably, yeah. probably the Ter one. Am I locked up? You locked up for a moment. Um, okay. Am I all right? Go ahead. Just go. No, no, we heard go back. You, you, you said it was probably the Casitas episode, which by the way, folks is to date, at least our most popular episode, which came as a surprise to me, quite honestly, but go ahead and talk, tell us about it. Yeah, it was, you know, uh, it was the one, you know, like for you, for, you know, HW Ross, I mean, you've been living that for almost your whole life uh you know the 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 haze uh episode you know you put your blood sweat and tears and a lot a lot of years into it for me it that was lake casitas or any of the california ones that we've done so far because downer and and worked in one of the best tackle shops in southern california at the time uh and i lived it and it was really cool to to actually get to tell that story because it, it was near and dear to my heart. So that that's my favorite. What's your favorite, Ken? I'm torn. Um, you mentioned the H.W. Ross episode, which I think was like our first episode. It was our first I, episode. I loved doing that episode uh, yeah. because I think that's a fish that almost nobody knows about. It's a fish that weighed 23 pounds, two ounces from 1884. And, and to share that story with the bass fishing world and to share information that nobody else but us had about that fish yeah. was a blast to me. And it was also one of my, it was also maybe a favorite because it's the first one we ever did. Yeah. Um, it was, it was exciting to do. And these are still exciting to do. My other favorite, I love doing the Fritz Friebel story. Uh, the guy who caught a, a 20, you know, the world record between 1923 and 1932 was Fritz Friebel out of Florida. 20 pounds, two ounces. And I love doing the Hayes episode three because um, that was, you know, we, we kept telling everybody, hey, we've got a bombshell to drop at the end of episode three. And I felt like we delivered on that. You know, I, I felt like that was a, a solid episode. And and for anybody who, who took the time to listen, uh, I feel like they got information that they can't get anywhere else. And that's one of the big things that's uh, important to me about the big big bass podcast yep well that leads into a really good question for you ken from dustin grant how did you feel knowing all the work you put in and helping david hayes and then you heard him say he gave the rod and reel to his wife uh, well, uh, dustin that's a great question man 
uh, all the bells were firing in my head when I heard that. All the bells were firing. I think, oh my God, this guy's just, just uh, potentially taking himself out of the record book. Yeah. But then I, then I thought, started thinking about it a lot more systematically, and and I, you know, I realized all the things I said at the end of episode three. So I, don't, I won't belabor them. But hey, those weren't rules in 1955 when Phil and Stream was keeping them. Hey. Uh, this record should be grandfathered in by IGFA and there's no way they should DQ it simply because he didn't follow rules that were not in place until 1978. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that that none of the record-keeping organizations as entities are as important as David Hayes and his 11-pound, 15-ounce smallmouth bass. So uh, although all the, all the red flags and bells went off in my head, I thought, you know... This is not this is not a fraudulent catch. This is just a guy who didn't follow rules that were not even in place when he caught the fish. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, that that caught my attention really fast, Dustin. When he said <laughs> that, I thought, ah, uh-oh. <laughs> this and, and I, how am I gonna how am I gonna keep this out of the story? <laughs> I, I kept it a secret for fifteen years uh, until. Until well, and it wasn't. I say it was a secret. I I think some other people probably knew about it, because other people certainly interviewed Hayes over the years, and other people uh, probably heard that that aspect of the story. But I think a lot of them didn't understand it. Didn't understand it would have been against the rules of IGFA or the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, because they weren't interested in that stuff. Uh, they were just interested in a big smallmouth bass. Yeah. Uh, but. But Nathan also knew about it, of course. It was just something we didn't... We, we might talk about it off to the side, but we didn't really share it or plan to to air it. But then, as I said, when we started the Big Bass Podcast, we try not to hold anything back. If there's information about these fish and we're telling the story, we're going to give you everything we got, unless we just think it's too intensely boring or insignificant. Yeah. I mean, that's the important thing is, you know, Keeping the, the 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 wheat with the, ch- it, there's going to be good and there's going to be bad and and uh, things may not fall our way at times, but you know the truth is the truth. Yeah, you know we're we we want to be, you know, Terry and I both like to think of ourselves as as historians, but neither of us is trained as oh. a historian. We both but have, we're uh, trained as researchers. We are trained as researchers. My my background in education is in the law. I I went to law school. I practiced law for a decade. Terry's a PhD public high school diploma. No, uh, PhD engineer. Engineer. Research and engineer. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we we have some we have some qualifications as as researchers and as people who dig in. But thank you, uh, William. Yeah, William, thank you, man. Uh, but we don't, get some we don't have the... <laughs> oh, thank you, Fast Podcast. Hey, we better get some merch for crying out loud. We got people buying merch before we have merch. That's... <laughs> well, you know, somebody asked about merch on a comment today in the David Hayes Episode 3 uh, comment section. And, you know, we just recently cracked 1,100 subscribers. And we're grateful for every one of you. Absolutely, every yep. one of you. Um, Absolutely, we're we're trying to grow the show, and we rely on y'all to spread the word. We rely on y'all to to continue to tune in, and we rely on y'all to give us some some feedback, so we know hopefully where to go next to, to keep you guys listening. Yep. 
Um, that said, uh, we do want to grow the show big enough so that we can either uh, continue to monetize in a meaningful way through YouTube or find some sponsors uh, yeah. who can help us continue to do this. Because these shows are incredible, are incredible investments to us. We spend an amazing number of hours researching these stories. We spend hours putting the story together. Every story we've done so far, we've done 23, has this massive outline that goes on for page after page after page uh, where Terry and I think we should, how we should tell that story. And then there's the, the cost of doing the show, you know, the equipment, the platforms and all that. So we're, we're deep in the hole. And, and so far we've monetized through YouTube. We've made almost $40. Uh, but so we're, we're looking to grow it. And our plan always was, or has been that once we reach about 10,000 subscribers, we, we'd have some merch. And I don't know if that's still the plan. Uh, we, have may to have Nathan to, and, we, and we may have to do it earlier. <laughs> I just, I think my, my fear right now is to spend two, two grand on merch and, uh, you know, sell five hats and, you know, one double extra large shirt to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have shirts. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wearing a I'm wearing a Japanese anime shirt that my brother-in-law uh, sent me from Tokyo. Um, but, you know, yeah. Oh, should we address the uh, my clothing issue, Terry, which uh, you bring up you brought up in the short to promote? Oh, I just I'm you know, the Yukari. Ken's wife's name is Yukari, uh, and I'm just wondering if she dressed you tonight like she has uh, before every other podcast that we've had, other than the, the short that you did the end of the night with your shirt inside out and backwards. Well, first of all, yes, my wife does dress me. Uh, I figure if I can make my wife happy, my life is dramatically better, so I pretty much will wear whatever she sets out for me. Uh, when I did when I did my short to promote this live episode, uh, Nathan and I had been out uh, having having dinner at our favorite sushi place, and uh, we go to this sushi place that we've taken Terry to, by the way. Even though he and it's called Bobcat's Catfish Grill. No, it's, it's not it's a sushi place. Sukihana. They think they think it's sushi. <laughs> it's called Sukihana, and it's awesome. Sukihana, Orlando, Florida. Check it out, but don't make it so crowded that Nathan and I can't get in. So anyway, Nathan's wife thank doesn't you, Brown like Bay sushi. Company. Yeah. Oh wow, thank you, Brown Bait Company. Nathan's Holy wife crap. is not a sushi fan. So so when Nathan uh, wants sushi, he's gotta he's gotta slip away. And we go to have sushi. We decide we're gonna make the short. We go out into the parking lot, and I'm looking at the shirt I'm wearing. And if if you work in the fishing industry, every shirt you have has somebody's logo on it. And this particular logo was not a company that's supporting the Big Bass Podcast. They're a company I admire, but they're not a sponsor or anything like that. So I said, okay, I'm going to spin this shirt around. And, and Nathan said, nobody will notice. It's fine. <laughs> I, I believe I showed you up, a Ken. photo, Ken, and you said it was fine. <laughs> so then what he does, then what he does is he backs off far away. I don't, I'm, I don't know what the shot looks like. He backs off far away enough that you can see the entire shirt draping on me and look making me look like an idiot but the shirt was backwards but it you don't need the shirt out. ken no i don't need i don't need the shirt you're right all right wow we gotta thank uh funky fisherman who's a frequent commenter on our video. holy crap fisherman. funky thank you and sir and uh also jason wow and holy Kyle crap norris 
You guys Damn, are Kyle. Hey, it's Kyle. Thank you. You guys are Jason. You guys thank are you. awesome. Yeah, you're that's that's much appreciated. Y'all are y'all are fantastic, and and we we do want to have merch. We really do want to have merchandise, and, and we want to offer caps and t-shirts, and who knows, maybe coffee cups and mugs, and who knows. What I have a, I have, thank you. I have a question regarding the hat. Do you people out there want a big bass podcast hat like Ken is wearing, or do you want one with the logo? Okay. Because Ken has kind of set the stage with this damn hat that he had. His, I think, I think y- uh, Yukari made that thing, right? Shelby, thank I, you. Uh, Shelby, uh, thank you so much. I ordered it off uh, Amazon. <laughs> I have two of them. One is blue, one is red. Yeah, it, you know, so are we going to, you know, do they want, do people want the Big Bass Podcast logo on the hat? Or, okay, you want the logo. Clay says Clay. he wants the logo. All right, yep. Yep. And Kyle, Kyle, bo- Kyle he wants both. both. <laughs> okay, Dave Richardson, logo. Okay, logo on a <laughs> on a Richardson one twelve. Is that a particular kind of? I'm not. Cap? I'm not sure what. A I don't. What's a Richardson one twelve? I bet it's got to be a cap. Uh, and Christopher says logo. A Richardson one twelve. Brown Bay Company says just the lettering. Just the lettering. All right. I damn it. How much? Definitely a logo. Stump Jack says logo. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Black. By the way, let me. Let, I want to go get something real quick. Hang on. Oh, thank God! I thought he'd never leave. <laughs> <laughs> no. Terry and I, I have shirts. A, Kyle Norris wants shirts. Well, we want shirts too. You know, we we do want that also. Um, Terry and I have our, our running joke uh, about who talks too much on the show, and quite honestly, uh, I know that I talk more than he does on the show. And everywhere else, for that matter. Um, <laughs> uh, but don't let on. Don't tell him I said that. All right. Hey, Terry. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. We're not talking about me while I was gone. <laughs> um, so Stump Jack, who has been an avid supporter of the channel uh, since its inception. Size matters. Jason wants a size matters shirt. I like it. We <laughs> definitely need to be doing that. I've got an idea for that shirt. But... Uh, Stumpjack has been a, a supporter. He's got a great Instagram account, which is where we met. Uh, he helps me out uh, on the Bass Fishing Archives website. He's a phenomenal writer uh, and a historian, um, just a, a great dude. And he was driving to Florida the other uh, week, and he stopped by my house. And uh, I got to meet him in the flesh. He's from Wisconsin. Um, and he had his lovely wife with him, and uh, we got to spend a couple hours together. And right before he left my house, he gifted me this homemade decoy. That's very an, cool. This is an ice fishing decoy that that Stump Jack made. Uh, that was, I don't know how many years he had it, um, but it was one of his prized possessions. He made the fins out of a coffee can, uh, you know, really, it's just, it's, it's a work of folk art, if I've ever seen one. I love folk it's, art. It's, it's beautiful. And I, Dave, thank you so much for that gift. It, it, it's a treasure I will have forever. And Ken doesn't have one. <laughs> that pains me. 
Uh, <laughs> Andy Herman wants a hat with a David Hayes holding the small mouth and on the side says, I gave my wife the rod. <laughs> oh, 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 that's awesome. Or, or why did you lose the walleye? <laughs> no, I think, I think Andy's playing on a different level. Yeah, here, I, I, think yeah. I think Andy's got the double entendre going uh, in a yeah. way that... Yeah, Andy's Andy's hitting on all yeah, the cylinders I, I, here. Yes, Eric, he is. <laughs> man, Eric, you're that's very generous. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, Eric. Appreciate Nathan, you. Nathan, we get to eat again. <laughs> this time, invite me. Oh, okay, oh, that's another God. sore subject. <laughs> Terry lives hundreds of miles away. I don't know how long the drive would be, but it's a nine-hour drive. It's a nine-hour drive to your house. And we always invite Terry to join us at these meals, but he never makes it. He says he's coming, but then he never arrives. Yeah, I got a flat. <laughs> and then nobody helped me pick, you know, with the flat, so. It's probably because you weren't wearing help, a but... big bass right. podcast cap. <laughs> like you should have been. Eric, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, oh, Eric. Wow. Team Bass Pack, thank you. Holy crap. Do you fish Terry... picks? Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yes. And, and, and Butch is definitely someone that we want to have on the show. Um, I don't know Butch. Butch kind of, uh, I left California in 93. Um, and uh, Butch kind of became a thing after I left. And, uh, but I've known of or met quite a few of the original people back in the mid 80s and, and uh, early 90s that were, that were making swim baits. Um, I I started throwing swim baits when they first came out in 87, 86. Uh, we didn't have the rods that we have today. I mean, we were essentially using our flipping sticks to throw them. Well, now, um, don't Terry and I are going to get into an ugly debate in a minute here if he wants to say what is swim, a swim baits. Bait? Yeah. <laughs> let's, not even, let's not even start with that. The first swim bait was the K&K Animated Minnow, circa 1908. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and and I might be gravitating more towards, you know, the the more I see some of these old uh, articulated baits. So my eyes is that the swim bait was developed. There was two two versions. There was a plastic version that that came off the dinosaur, which was made by Worm King. That was a saltwater. We didn't call them swim baits. We we called them sassy shad. Uh, or uh, worm kings. I mean, it was a boot tail fl flipping worm, right? As and, long as uh, your forearm. It was long. It was twelve were. inches long, and so you had those guys that were doing that. Uh, and then on top of that, you had the guys from Bishop, like Alan Cole. Uh, Jerry Rago would come around a few late years later. It was another guy named Greg Silks. So Alan Cole made the AC plug. And silks made the Z plug, and these guys were not bass fishermen. They were trout fishermen. They were fishing Bishop, the areas of the lakes in Bishop, northern. Trout fishermen or striper fishermen? Tr trout fishermen. They they so Alan Cole was a, a charter member of the Brown Baggers, and in order to become a member of the Brown Baggers, you had to have two brown trout in California that weighed over ten pounds apiece. Thank you, David. Okay? David, thank you, sir. Um, so if you're going to, to Wyoming or Montana or Idaho to catch a brown, that fish doesn't count. It doesn't matter if it's 20 pounds. 
It had to be a fish over 10 in California. And Alec Cole had like 60 fish over 10 pounds. But, but what happens in the winter in the Eastern Sierras is that these lakes freeze. And these guys don't want to quit fishing for five, six, seven months a year. So they would go down and they would fish Pyramid, the Colorado River, um, and uh, Lake Silverwood. There's an, an AC plug right there. That's a AC pretty old plug. One. AC plug uh, signed. Signed by AC himself. By AC yeah. himself. <laughs> Thank you, Clay. We appreciate it. Um, and anyway, so they would go down and they would fish stripers at the river, at Pyramid, at Silverwood. And I mean, they're busting in the wintertime, you know, 20, 30, 40 pound. If they're going to the river, you know, 50 pound, 60 pound stripers. And then they would go to Pyramid and they would catch a 20 pound striper and a 10 pound largemouth or Silverwood and they'd get a couple of 20 pound stripers and a 12 pound largemouth and the largemouth would get way more pressed than the damn stripers. They're like, hmm, there's more money to be made off a largemouth. So they started targeting largemouth bass with these plugs and fishing Casitas, Castaic, Pier, uh, Pyro, uh, not Pyro, Paris. And that's how that whole hard bait thing. Then you have Ken Huddleston and Chomp who start Castaic Woodbait Company. And uh, with great power comes great responsibility, I think. I think You're he's talking, talking about I think, the David Hayes bombshell. Yeah, I, ab absolutely. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I give credit, Ken, all the, Ken and Nathan, because, you know, Nathan was there too, all the credit for that the entire series. But uh, Jason Sicking just, uh, just expressed his admiration for the, our Stephen Barden. Uh, episodes and he wants to have Stephen. Oh, Andy, I got to come back to that. Andy, I love that comment. Okay, so anyway, Stephen Barden, who is uh, Major League Fishing's biologist and also uh, uh, does a lot of private work for landowners who are looking to grow bigger, better bass and their things. Stephen's been on our, our show a couple of times and both episodes were really well received. Not only do we plan on having Stephen back, if he will join us again, uh, and I hope he will, but we'd love to do a live show with Steven because he is just yeah, because, crackling well, bright. And then we could get, you know, a bunch of people asking him questions. And, you know, what better way to get your question answered by, you know, the, the guy that, that you want to ask the question to. Yeah, Steven so. is uh, a, an amazing guest, a great friend, a wonderful guy. He's uh, just, if, if you think he's fascinating from ha seeing him on the show, you just have no idea. You got to have dinner with a guy like I've had a chance to a few times and the conversation is just just so much fun. Um, that's been yeah. that's that's what's kept me in the bass fishing industry for so long, Terry, is when I get to hang out with guys and have dinner with them and have yeah. just stupidly wonderful conversations with with people like Terry Battisti or Nathan Benson or Stephen Barden or, yeah, you know, Bill Dance or Edwin Evers or whoever it might be. Uh, I've I've been wildly privileged andy leonard who really enjoyed the junior sample show thank you andy i i appreciate that comment because you know the junior sample show has at least in my opinion really underperformed it has not been seen that many times and yeah. i think it's a cool cool story it's hysterical i mean it's got big fish it's got hoax uh, it's got a comedian. It's got hee-haw. I mean, 
you put all that stuff, Darius. Holy crap! Thank you, Darius. Sir. Thank you so much. It's got Terry um, Batista telling me I'm on crack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it, it's an amazing story. If, did, if you guys haven't watched that video, did you remember uh, that Nathan? He said I was on crack. I remember that. Yeah, but I've, I mean, I've yet I, to I, receive an apology. <laughs> Hold your breath. <laughs> Not going right. to get one. <laughs> we have a lot of questions here to get to. Oh, um, awesome. Let's see. Brian the Carpenter. friend. Brian of the, the Carpenter. BTC. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> BTC. Brian the Carpenter, our great friend. Y'all probably know him. He's a longtime producer of Ike Live, longtime producer of the Bass University. Uh, worked with Mike Iconelli and Pete Glusick for years and years. BTC. And Nathan and I have a project that we're going to kick off next month. Yeah, um, you, more, you may have a project with BTC, but I've had his drop shot box for a month and a half, ever since the classic. Okay, so, so you're actually just hoarding his his Holding tackle. hostage. I actually sent it to him yesterday. I didn't know I had it in my boat for a month. <laughs> okay, what's in, what's in my cup? Water. Water. That's what's in, th that's what's in this one. Yeah, right water in 1973 this is oh they're they're a dime a dozen terry i can you want me to reach and get mine <laughs> yeah who had well, um, this first <laughs> anyway, btc nathan and i i had to get one just to catch up to batisti btc yeah. nathan and i have a project coming out soon that we're excited about and uh more on that later i'm not gonna tie up the big bass podcast with with that project but we hope you're gonna like that one too uh right now tonight man just water uh coffee earlier coffee in this one i had to go um, to a work dinner tonight so i had uh a, a couple drinks there i felt it was not going to be prudent to continue on while doing this yeah oh uh, sometimes i have bourbon uh but when i do that i have it in my world record smallmouth bass glass tumbler uh and there was one episode where i where i absolutely had too much i think that was the one where we were talking about the record keeping organizations where i yeah. was i i was definitely Ken was lit. not safe to podcast. <laughs> Where you were in your seatbelt? <laughs> yeah, that was nice. We we actually shot some. Occasionally, we'll shoot two shows when we get together to record, and that was the second of two shows. And I was I was going at the bourbon for two long episodes. And, and, somebody... and when we do those shows, we actually do a wardrobe change in between. And for that second episode, Ken again came in with his shirt on backwards and inside out. And we had to straighten him out. <laughs> I think Yukari had gone to the store or something. <laughs> lies, I tell you. Lies. Terry oh, Sushi Fun. Rich, Thanks. thank you for that, Rich. Thank Appreciate you so much. Appreciate it, Rich. Yeah, Rich, uh, Terry needs gas money so he can make it. Yep to uh, Sukihana. Rich also wanted to know, Ken, why don't you let Terry talk more? Ouch, Rich. What the <laughs> hell, man? Yes, supposed to be on my side. Out. <laughs> I would. If he had anything interesting uh, to say, I'd be glad to give him the floor. <laughs> oh, uh, man. From uh, Stumpjack Outdoors, given the recent cheating incident in the walleye world, Will you guys be exploring some of the cheating incidents in bass where oh. the bass have been caught but have been oh. legitimate? 
Oh, yes. Yes, the two come right off the top of my head. Uh, They were near and dear to my heart. Sandy DeFresco, the two-and-a-half-pound dive weight, Ken actually has the Southern California world record uh, lure uh, up on his shelf. Well, this is the... uh, It's made by Kalen. It was made by Kalen. It's the world record bass kit that was made by Michael Jones and, uh, oh, goodness gracious, the guy that Al had, Kalen. Al, Al Kalen uh, came out with this two-and-a-half-pound diver's weight uh, is the world record bass kit. Well, this, this uh, thing actually weighs almost nothing. But, well, it's, um, it's, it's resin. But it's, it's a fake, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but Sandy DeFresco had a two-and-a-half-pound diver's weight in the belly of her fish. And, uh, of course, that's a, an interesting story. We're going to get to it. Uh, yep. there, are, there are a lot. Stumpjack, there are a ton of, of frauds out there. And, and we, we truly plan, I know this is a bold statement, we plan to get to all of them. Uh, if we live long enough and if, if the podcast has, has the support to do them, uh, we want to do all of them. Because yeah. we're, we're, we're eating up with this stuff, as I think everybody can see. It's we just a, fun telling the story. We have a story. problem. We have, we have yeah. serious problems. Yeah. The other one that right off the top of my head is a 20-pound, 8-ounce fish to 23-pound fish caught by Leah True at a spring lake in Northern California. That one's uh, that one itself is a, a interesting hoax, but the, the stuff like that goes with it uh, adds to it. But, uh, yeah. And, and then there's an Alabama fish that's... Uh, Kind of an interesting story. Yeah, twenty four twelve out of Alabama in nineteen twenty six, I believe, is the one you're yep. thinking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, George J. Nichols. Yep. Yep. That that's so. uh, that's an amazing one, and that's going to be a a tough one to research because there have been a couple of books written but never published, which go into that story, and so I have not been able to get my hands on them. You know, one of the things I'd love to introduce on the Big Bass Podcast, we really need to to find a way to get this out better is what I want to call something like an all points bulletin. Um, yeah. Where we reach out to, to those of you watching and listening and say, Hey, here's something we're desperately trying to find that will help us tell a story. If you have a lead, uh, please, please share that with us. And, and that ties right into a, a great friend of ours. Uh, at the risk of, uh, of outing him on the show, I won't mention his name. But a wonderful friend of ours who is uh, works in law enforcement, eating up with big bass catching, um, yeah, eating up with big bass history. Mike, we'll just we'll just say Mike for now, or we'll call him Little Boom. Inter- it, 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 yeah, Little Boom, uh, interested in bass fishing history, not just not big just bass fish, big bass, big bass but, history. But we call him another story for another time. Anyway, Mike is uh, just an amazing guy. Uh, a tremendous bass fisherman, a tremendous bass fishing talent, and, and also um, a, a, a credible resource. And we reach out to this buddy of ours, and he occasionally is able to to put us in the right direction, share some of his investigative skills so that uh, we can better track down some stuff. But wonderful yep. guy and, a, and a, an amazing asset of the Big Bass Podcast. Yep. And I'm going to be quiet Nathan? now because I talk too much. Is there Donald any more Garrison. stuff to cover with Jim Brown? Donald oh, Garrison God. Wants to know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, much. I mean, 
we, you get on the phone with Jim Brown, and again, it can be a four or five hour conversation, and you'll talk about 15 different subjects that, that he lived during his tenure at San Diego City Lakes. You know, he knows about or witnessed, I would say, nearly every fish over 10 pounds that came out of those lakes. You know, and if he didn't, if he didn't witness it personally, Larry Botroff, his biologist, is the guy that weighed it, took scale samples, and measured it the whole nine yards. So, yeah, Jim is... uh, Jim Look at a, all the people that Jim encountered and dealt with and knew so well. People oh like God. Orville Ball, people like Larry Botroff, people like Phil Jay, Dave Zimmerly, Mike Long. These are the legends of, of California big bass fishing, and uh, and and he he knew everybody. Stephen Barden is in the program, baby. Come yeah. on, Steve. We've been talking about you, Stephen. Have your ears been burning? <laughs> We were just saying we're, that we're, we hope you'll come back and do more episodes of the Big Bass Podcast, and we'd also love to do a live show with you as our guest and, and open things up to, uh, to folks who cannot get enough Steve Barton. Nathan, what else we got? Brown Bait Company. Will you guys ever do a few episodes deep diving the history of some of the lures that have caught some of these records? Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we will. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, that's that's very interesting because one of the things that uh, I, I have this obnoxious spreadsheet, that I, spreadsheets, I should say, shouldn't I, Terry? Because I've got a lot of obnoxious spreadsheets. Yeah, because, you know, you, you have Excel, right? And then at the bottom, it has an each tab, and Ken will send me a XLS file, uh, and uh, there will be 15 sheets in one freaking file. It's, yeah. And I try to keep track of things like, okay, here's the size of this fish. Here's the length. Here's the girth. Here's the date it was caught. Here's the place it was caught. Here's the size of the place it was caught. Here's the rod that was used, the reel that was used, the line that was used, the lure that was used. Here's the moon phase in which it was caught. I mean, we go as, as deep as we can. How, what color were the guy's eyes? You know, <laughs> I mean, DNA samples. Uh, you know, he doesn't leave any stones unturned. But, but one of the things that's fascinated me, Terry, is, um, is that there is little rhyme or reason uh, with regard to what has caught the biggest bass ever caught. It, it's just the whole range of, of lures. Everything yeah. from slider worms, tiny little slider worms, to, uh, um, to, the, to giant swim baits like we were talking about earlier. And, uh, yeah, I want to do a deep dive on that. If you look at the state records and the, the places where those state record fish were caught, then you've got, um, then you've got even more uh, things going on. But most of them are small waters. So, yeah, we want to do a deep dive into all that yeah. stuff. Wherever yep. we can find common denominators, wherever we can find something actually that would help any of us catch a big fish, we want to, we want to tell that story. And here we got yep. Steve Barden again. Yeah, he wants to know... From UCAN, the largest fish ever weighed in at a Bassmaster and FLW pro level event. Yeah, uh, Mark Tyler has the record for the biggest bass ever caught in a BASS event, and I'm bad on this. I always get this confused. I think it was, it was either 14.5. I, I think it was four. I was thinking it was 14.7, but I was. I'm having trouble on the year. Was it 97 or 99? And it was in. It was in the California it was Delta. Delta. It was the Delta. Delta. It, I think it was 99. So it was probably 99. One of the ones that Robert Lee won. 
Robert Lee was winning everything on the Delta back then. Anyway, Mark Tyler goes in. I think it was a 14-7. He's flipping yep. and pitching. And, South, the South Delta. Yeah, and, and he flips in and he catches this 14-7, I believe. And I think on like his next, next pitch, he catches one over eight. So, you know, <laughs> how amazing is that? In two pitches, he's got over 22 pounds. But then you put it in a different perspective and say, well, Manabu Krita did that in one cast. So, uh, FLW, uh, pro level events, you know, it's FLW, has, I, I think Bass has done a, a pretty poor job of keeping track of the biggest fish ever caught in BASS competition. Um, Mark Menendez has the number two bass ever caught in BASS competition, by the way. But uh, FLW has, uh, no, it was uh, Richland Chambers. Richland Chambers. Um, yeah. But FLW has done an even worse job historically because for a long time, uh, FLW did not even keep any track of, of the big fish caught on certain days of competition. And the FLW record is, is much smaller, actually. I'm not sure what it is offhand, but it took many years for them to even crack 10 pounds. Um, yeah. now I mean, they, they were known as the shaky head circuit, right? Yeah, for they were. Years. They were Carolina rig and shaky heads. Uh, now that MLF has taken over, they're doing a lot better job with regard to their documentation of stuff. And hey, that is in no small part due to the efforts of Stephen Barton. So, uh, you know, Stephen's asking that question. And yeah, I'll do a deep dive and I'll, I'll try to get back to you on the biggest ever in FLW history. But, um, the, but the, the stats just aren't there. Yeah, the, the data is not, not that great. But yeah, the fact that the data has improved so much on the MLFLW side is in no small part due to uh, Stephen Barton. That the data now that Stephen Barton collects is is light years ahead of anything that any bass fishing organization has ever accumulated. Light years. It's the difference between shooting a bullet and throwing it. That's the difference between what what these organizations have done historically and what they're doing now at, at the highest levels of major league fishing, largely due to the influence of Stephen Barton. So there, take that. <laughs> Question from Chris Flay. Is Billy Westmoreland the only man to catch a 10-pound largemouth and smallmouth? I believe so. That we know of. Yeah, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and not only that, he caught two 10-pound smallies. Yeah. So. yeah. And he caught a 10-pound largemouth in competition, in BASS yeah. competition, which makes it, you know, even In Florida, more with 8-pound line on a spinning rod. Yep, and a little, <laughs> and a little bitty worm. Uh, yep. Um, but Westmoreland did it. And now you think, you know, now I've caught 10-pound largemouth. Terry's caught 10-pound largemouth. But for anybody who didn't, who goes out and suddenly manages, manages to catch a 10-pound a smallmouth, you you know, you should immediately hop in the car, run and down drive to, to Florida. Florida <laughs> or OHI. Hire, hire a shiner guide like Sean Rush and, uh, and get your 10-pounder the next day so you can do both in 48 hours. That'd be pretty cool. Yep. I'd write a story about you. Not if I got to him first. Damn it, Terry Batiste. Andy Herman wants to know your both both of your personal best bass. Uh, my biggest is 10.8. I've got three fish over 10. Um, my problem was I left California before the, the swim bait craze really freaking got, got dialed in. Um, when I left there, it, we were still using flipping sticks to throw. Uh, 
you know, big swim baits. And I uh, moved to Idaho, and that's really not a big bass capital by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> the funny thing is, is I caught two of my 10s after I left California when I went back to California in the wintertime to, to fish. So, anyway, Cam? Uh, my biggest is 12.4. Uh, and I probably shouldn't tell all of this story because... It'll... You snagged it off a of bed? No, I did not snag it off a of bed. That's horrible. I'm actually looking <laughs> for the. Uh, I'm actually looking for a picture of it, uh, so I can send a Nathan and he could post it. But uh, we'll we'll get to that at some point. Uh, we'll we'll show it off one of these days. Um, but I, I caught it when I was 12 years old. Uh, what? I caught it when I was 12 years old out of our farm wow. pond. I grew up on a farm in South Carolina. I was born in Florida, but when I was 12 years old or 11 years old I moved to South Carolina and um, Yankee and I was in middle school and I had a football game later that day and my dad was out of town on a business trip but my grandfather was there and um, I go down to the pond and I've got a wimpy spinning rod line that couldn't have tested more than five or six pounds because it was probably old and worn out and I had a man's jelly worm. And I made a cast, and I, I think I probably set the rod down to do something else, you know. Um, Take a and leak. Perhaps. <laughs> line starts taking off, so I pick up the rod, I set the hook. This gigantic fish comes out. Um, I haul him to the bank. I take him back to the house. We got nothing to weigh this fish on. Um, so my mom comes out of the house with the bathroom scales and I'd, I'd weigh the fish Paul Duclos style. Uh, you know, I get on the scale and I weigh whatever and I get on the scale again and, and uh, it's, it's a little more than 12 pounds difference. So we've always just called, I always just called it 12, four. Um, and that's my personal best. And if I don't beat it, I'm going to be pissed off. You need to go fishing for a while. Yeah, that's the problem. But Dr. Batisti and uh, Nathan Benson have me working on this Big Bass podcast thing all the time, so I never get to go fishing anymore. There's like 40 lakes within walking distance of your house. Ken, Ken lives on a golf course community, and literally the water traps there have got to have a 12 in them or a 13. They might, but they also get pounded pretty hard. I went out and threw a swim bait a little bit the other day. Got one did you throw it into the bridge? No, that's what I did last time I threw a swim bait. I threw a... Um, I've got it here. Should I pull it down and show what I did to it? Yeah. It was a Clash 9, so... It was, and, it uh, and it clashed. <laughs> it clashed with the dock, or with the bridge. Yeah. BTC caught his PB when he was 12 or 13 years old, too. I would have had my PB when I was 14 at a cast stake. Yeah, but at, I I was an idiot. It was we had weighed that week. We had probably weighed two dozen fish over ten pounds at the shop. This is back when guys would bring their fish into the shop to have them mounted, and uh, I had a fish on. It it charged the boat. It came up to the boat, jumped, and then dove. And when it jumped, I'm looking at it, and mind you, my eyes were a pretty damn good you know, gauge of size back then. And I, that fish was 11, 12, 13 pounds. It was, it was a big fish. 
bigger than anything that we had weighed how that old, week. How old were you? 14. He had calibrated eyes at 14, folks. Calibrated eyeballs. Well, when you see dozens of fish come in every week that are, you know, over 10, you get pretty freaking good at guessing their weight. And uh, anyway. Here's what I did to my Clash 9. Yep. I, I, I threw it, and there was a, a golf cart bridge. And I said, you know, I don't think I can hit that golf cart bridge from here. So I'm just going to throw the crap out of it. Well, I hit the golf cart bridge hard. Hard I hit the golf cart bridge. And that bait bounced off the uh, bridge. I lost the lip. Um, and it broke. Ah, you can broke get another one, Ken. I got another one. Well, the, here's the good news about it. I actually bought this before they became a hot commodity. I was in Osaka at the Osaka Tackle Show, and I got this for what turned out to be a steal of uh, of about 50 bucks. Yeah, and then, another 200. <laughs> well, yeah, well, then um, I have another one. I have one in Golden Shiner, a limited edition swim bait underground in Golden Shiner <laughs> that my buddy Byron Childers got for me. And, and Byron is the national sales manager for Missile Baits, and he is also an amazing source of, um, you know, hard-to-get stuff. Uh, you'd think I could get it because I work in the fishing industry too, but Byron is way better connected than me, also uh, smarter. Christopher Benson, y'all crushed it on Hayes' smallmouth story. Hayes said records Thank are meant you. to be broken. If the record is broken... Do you think it'll come from Dale Hollow or up north? It's possible that it'll come out of Dale Hollow. It's it's possible that it could come out of a, a Lake Erie or a Lake Ontario. The problem that I have with Erie and Ontario is that the that those lakes are huge, and most of those fish are caught off of shoals in the middle of the lake. There's there's, it's not like fishing Dale Hollow when you could go to a point that you know is going to have big fish on, you know, this exact spot. You know, you, you, your odds of finding that 10-pounder or 12-pounder at Erie are just astronomical. Um, but I don't think it's going to come out of either of them. I think it's going to come out of either a lake in... in in Northern California called Party, uh, or it's going to come out of a lake in Idaho called Dorshack. And, uh, yeah, that's Matthew's, Matthew's, uh, listening. Yeah. Uh, so the, the party, party and Dorshack have one thing in common. Actually, they have two things in common. They both have giant smallmouth. And I personally seen a fish that I would say was over 11 pounds at Pardee that was on a bed in about 15 foot of water that we couldn't get to eat. Um, and then it came up out of that 15 foot of water into about three or four foot of water. And it was just, it was giant. You know, we had, we had caught some, some eight pound largemouth, nine pound largemouth uh, the day before. And that fish dwarfed those fish. It was, it was insane. Um, and again, Dorshack's got these. So I lived up there. I lived 30 miles from that lake when I was going to graduate school in Moscow. And uh, the problem with Dorshack is, is that it's remote. There's nothing 
there. It's Orofino, Idaho. The closest town would be Lewiston. Um, and once you launch your boat at the dam, it's a 57-mile run up to where those fish are, are caught. You just can't catch them down by the dam. There's a specific area of the clear water that those fish are in. And they're all caught in the same area within a, a five to seven mile stretch. And it's 57 miles one way. Uh, if you get stuck up there, there's nothing to, to get you back. Um, and, but the, the other thing that the, those two lakes have in common is they both have natural pop, well, Party doesn't have a natural population of kokanee, but, uh, but they both have populations of kokanee salmon, which are vitamin T, essentially. Um, they don't get longer than 10 inches. Uh, 12 incher is, you know, really a big fish. Uh, and that's what those big smallmouth feed on. And that's why I think Pardee and Dorshack are going to be the, the two lakes that produce the next world record, as opposed to Erie, Ontario, or Dale Hollow. Ken? Uh, Christopher, I'm going to make my answer short. The next world record smallmouth will come out of Dale Hollow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I did talk too much that time. <laughs> no, it's just that you're wrong. Oh, oh uh, no, we, we had what another did Funky, comment. What did, Fun, what did Funky say? Yeah, what did... Can you put uh, that one back, Nathan? Sorry about sorry that. About, yeah, let we me see. It. Come on, Nathan. <laughs> no, he said he was Holy. listening to the Big Bass podcast oh, yeah, yeah. on his drive to the lake when he there caught his first double digit. Well, that's the thing oh, that we haven't been talking that's, about. Is, you know, what is luck that we bring everybody, everybody who, who listens to or watches the Big Bass podcast is going to have a shot at their personal best if you watch and listen every week. If you don't, then you're almost guaranteed to <laughs> Your lose odds that go fish. down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't win that. We did not win the Nobel Prize for podcasting for no reason, folks. <laughs> Thanks, Funky. Congratulations. Right. Yeah. Kudos. Uh, Team Bass Pack. Some people say the next world record is going to come out of Texas. Would you guys agree? Is it going to be California or Florida? Or Go about Japan. Well, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll, uh, this is such speculation, uh, but uh, I'd love to see it come out of Florida. I'm a Floridian. I want to see it come out of Florida. Uh, the genetics are, are, are right. Um, California, there are not many places doing the things necessary to raise a world record in California right now, but there are some. So you got to take California very, very seriously. I do not think it's going to come out of Texas. They may have the genetics because they've imported them. Uh, I don't know imported about their... So did California. They imported them. Uh, uh, you drink imported beer? I don't drink beer. <laughs> but, you know, have, hey, have another Bud Light on me. You, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I, I, if I had to pick three places where I think a, 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 the next world record would come from... I would say, in no particular order here, we'll go alphabetical. Uh, California, Florida, Japan. Dr. And, okay, and, yeah, uh, uh, there are still places in California that you just, you don't hear about it because people finally learned when you open your mouth with a 19-pound fish, your body of water is going to get pounded. Um, and so in the last 7 to 10 years, people have been keeping quiet. And you're not going to hear about it until it is a world record. 
Um, so I'll say California. Without a doubt, Japan has to be on that list. Uh, you've got Aikihara Dam uh, and Lake Biwa. You know, a lot of people know about the Biwa fish. Obviously, it's a tie for the world record. But the Aikihara fish came out of, uh, uh, came out, it was caught a year before, and it weighed 19.7. I mean, that was a giant fish. Um, and then my next bet, to round out three, and this is going to piss his can off when I say it, it's OHIV in, in Texas. Um, you know, that, that lake goes through some uh, new lake cycles uh, every, you know, seven to ten years, kind of like what happens in California. Uh, and, I mean, they've proven that they can pump out a, <clears throat> a bunch of fish in that 14 to 16 pound range. Um, and if they, if they just happen to hit it right, you know, there might be an, a, a, a chance. But and, I and honestly don't think Florida it has a chance at all in putting out a world record fish south africa <laughs> yes yeah, Stephen barden who certainly knows more about the biological end of this than than terry and i put together a hundred times uh steven says not the u.s but he predicts south south africa you know hey i, I it's you know the thing is is that you well, don't have any data I don't. I haven't been able to find any data on South Africa. I don't have data on South Africa. The other thing I would say is, okay, Stephen, the next world record. Let's say it does come out of South Africa. Are we going to hear about it? Are we ever going to know about it? That's <laughs> oh, that's God. a problem. Any documented twenty? I'm sorry, Nathan. Can you read the question? People want to hear Nathan's voice. <laughs> Clay Williamson, another um, frequent YouTube commenter. Uh, any documented twenty pound, twenty plus pound bass from Cuba or South Africa? Not to my knowledge. Um, you hear stories all the time, or you say not all the time, but we've historically heard stories about gigantic fish coming from both of those places. The problem is that they're largely unsubstantiated. And, um, and, and so we don't have anything to go with that. Uh, there have been stories of 33 pound fish and 28 pound fish and 26 pound fish out of Cuba. But you know, you're not going to see a photo of them. Well, and they have the same thing happen. What was that lake in Honduras that, that was supposed oh, to kick Yehoah. out? Yehoah. Yeah, Yehoah. Yeah, you know, there's another one, you know. The thing is, is that, you know, we hear about these things, and then we, we go down there, and three years later, you know, the, the natives have completely gill-netted the thing, and there's nothing left except tilapia. I mean, that's, that happened in Cuba. Yeah, that, that, that happens a lot. Hey, it happens in El Salto. Where, yeah, it does. Uh, where, yeah. where nobody's approached a world record unless you believe some of the falsehoods that come out of the marketing from places like that. But, yeah. um, you know, those places, Stephen may be absolutely right. It may come out of South Africa, but I'm going to be very skeptical as to whether it's going to hit certified scales and, and whether it's going to be certified in a way that uh, an organization like IGFA would be willing to recognize. Well, I remember there was a 17 that came out of South Africa. Or was it was an 18 back in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, that was it. The 18 from Zimbabwe. Um, hey, Ed, what's up, brother? Um, good to hear from Ed Cowan, outstanding angler from the Pennsylvania, New two York time area, classic two qualifier time classic qualifier, qualifier from the Federation, the hard the, way. Yeah, the hard way, as we say, <laughs> the hard way. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, 
that 18 pound fish from Zimbabwe, I haven't heard of another fish over 15 that was caught from down there. So, uh, Stephen, show me the data. <laughs> yeah, there, there have been reports of 24 and a half pound fish out of Egypt. Out of Egypt. Egypt, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> were, they in the, were they in King Tut's tomb? <laughs> I think it was under, the, under one of the pyramids. He, he had to skip under the pyramid. <laughs> yeah. A jig. And, uh, yeah. Shelby Bentley loved... Oh, sorry, Nathan. Yep, Shelby loved the H.W. Ross story. I live in Florida and never knew about Fritz Friebel either. Shelby, Florida is... Hey, make America Florida. Let me just say that. And, uh, yeah, H.W. <laughs> Ross... Uh, Fritz Friebel, there is no other state that has such a rich bass fishing history. As <laughs> our... <laughs> oh, don't, you're going to make me choke. <laughs> as our state, Shelby, and I think I'm glad that you realized that. And uh, thank you for, for watching and listening to the Big Bass Podcast. Chris Flay wants to know, Terry, is Bob Krupe still alive? Would be a great guest. Yeah, he is. Uh, in fact... I own his, uh, one of his jackets, um, kind of a stalkerish kind of thing. Stole it that, off the uh, man's back. The man was wearing it at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of a, I mean, I could guess I could go get it. Um, let me go get it real quick. <laughs> well, Bob Krupe, Chris, as you probably know, is a, a retired Los Angeles motorcycle cop. And, and for the folks who are not very familiar with Bob Krupe, Bob Krupe, probably made the best run at the world record out of California in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. He had a fish that that uh, weighed 22.01 pounds, and, um, and, and that's about when the California run on the world record collapsed uh, in about 2006 or so, 2007. Clay Williamson wants to say that Bob Krupe is the greatest living trophy bass guy on the planet. Hmm. Hmm. Not so <laughs> sure about that, Clay. Not sure. Krupe's got some amazing credentials. Amazing no credentials. No question about that. But, uh, hmm. hmm. Yeah. That's a show, yet, Terry. Who is the yeah. greatest Who is the greatest trophy bass angler of all time? We have, first of all, we gotta, we got to define trophy, don't we? we got to define greatest. Yeah. We got to define. Uh, there's a whole depth. We have to come up with some definition for that, and it may be multiple definitions. Yeah, my, my nominee right now is Manabu Karita. Yeah. All right. So here here is the uh, the jacket, and this jacket it's got a, a bass patch. It's got some Bass Pro Shops patches, which is. What intrigued me about this jacket, this jacket I, I saw on eBay about two years ago now, Western Bass Fishing Association, International Ambassador Club, Abu. I saw this jacket on eBay for, I think it was $15 two years ago. And what intrigued me was the over 15 pound bass patch that was on it. And, uh, I'm thinking, I've got to know the person that owns that jacket. Because it was coming out of California. It was coming out of a place called Acton, which is right, it's like 15 miles away from Castaic. And uh, 
So I put a bid on it. I ended up getting it for 50, for 18 bucks, what they were asking for it. And a few days later, I get the package in the mail, and the return address is a girl's name, first name, and then the last name is Kruppi. Like, holy crap. So I get on eBay, and I write the person a note and say, hey, I got the jacket today. I want to thank you very much, but I just have one question for you. Are you related to Bob Kruppi in any way? And she replied right, right back. And she said, yes, Bob is my dad. I said, why the hell did he get rid of his jacket? She goes, oh, he gave me a bunch of stuff to, 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 to sell. It's like, holy crap. So I'm looking at her freaking, you know, mar her, her auction, and she has nothing else from her dad. And uh, it's like, crap, okay. And so I wrote her another email and, and, and said, you know, would your dad be interested in me doing an interview with him? And she never got back with me. I, Bob's kind of gone under the radar. Um, and he was doing really... some guiding about 15 years ago. I don't know if he yeah. still does that. I think he's, he's, I, 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 think I he's... tried to explain to the, to the folks listening and watching that, that he's a retired Los Angeles motorcycle cop. And he did some high end expensive guiding for a while in the two thousands, but I don't know if he's still doing any of that. No, I don't think he is. Anyway. Uh, yeah, he's still alive. Uh, I talked to Danny Cadota, who was his partner for a while. Um, Danny and I talk. We're actually going to have Danny on the show. Danny, Danny is. I mean, he's caught you know 18s, 17s, 16s, nineteen four. I think is 19, his nineteen four is his biggest. Yeah, yeah. He's got he's got hundred pound ten fish limits, uh, and Danny can can spin a yarn. Uh, <laughs> if, 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 yes, when he we, can. When we have Danny on the show, it's going to be the Danny Cadota show. Ken and I are just going to be sitting here nodding our heads, uh, but the guy now is agape going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Danny's awesome, so, and and yeah. he he, he uh, educated, trained, taught a generation of big bass anglers in Southern California how to target and approach those fish, uh, and it including all came Bob Krupe. It all came from his saltwater experience, every bit of it. So we won't ruin the story by telling Danny's story because we, we'd screw it up anyway. But. Yeah, I don't want to ruin Danny's story, but I'll tell you what. Danny's got his own fishing rod company. I want to throw them a plug. It is Semper Fish Rods. Yeah. Semper Fish Rods. I think they're mostly, most of what he's got available now is, is saltwater stuff. But this guy is, is he's a, real deal. an angler like like like. Yeah. like so so talented so knowledgeable yep uh chris fly can i answer this one yeah but first nathan has to ask it yeah exactly. how, chris is asking how big does largemouth or smallmouth have to be to get you guys excited okay chris to get if, if it's on the end of my line it just has to be big enough to get on the hook if it's on the end of terry's line it has to exceed 10 pounds <laughs> Bastard. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's all about context, Chris. You know, uh, yeah, if I were to catch a two pound smallmouth here in Florida, I'd be very excited. Uh, my biggest smallmouth, I've got a 31 and a half pound smallmouth limit that was caught with a guy named Simon Frost up on Erie. I, that day was an amazing day. Uh, and so now to get me excited, it's, it's going to be over five pounds for a smallmouth. 
Um, but I would like to do get my PB. My PB right now is 612. I would like to get a 7. Um, largemouth, it's got to be over 10. Um, definitely has to be over 10 to get excited. Those are big fish. Those are big fish. <laughs> yeah, BTC again. Nathan? I have a rolled up poncho in my pocket that's heavier than that jacket. Well, it does look light. It's, it's a California jacket. <laughs> it's easy to it's, Brian, it's easy to stay warm when you're catching 20-pound largemouths, okay? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this would be this is winter attire for California and Florida. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't care how cold it is. I'm going to break a sweat if I hook a 20. <laughs> uh, there's been a couple questions about Butch Brown. Donald asks, has anyone reached out to Butch Brown? Not yet. Um, but believe me, it's in the works. I think the, the big problem with, that we have here, yeah, we have all these contacts in California and all these people that we want to talk to in California. But every time we do that, we skip Ohio. We skip Wisconsin. We, we skip all these other states that there are great stories about big fish that come out of these other, other states. I mean, look at... Here we go. What is Ken working on right now? Ken is working on Ohio. And uh, so there you go, Kyle. You asked for Ohio, Kyle. We got Ohio. <laughs> if it's in the blue um, folder, it's, it's coming soon. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we brought the, the, the Massachusetts fish out by, by Bolognas. My Bolognas, da 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 Every time I say his name, what? I... How did the, the knack, knack goes, get into get, the show? Bolognas, my Bolognas. No, I know, but <laughs> restrain yourself, Batista. Uh, I'm sorry, I go off on these tangents. I haven't had my medication today. <laughs> uh, anyway. Got another Matt, one. Matthew asks, do you ever see any of the major fishing circuits moving into the West, maybe East Coast, West Coast divisions, the championship somewhere in the middle? Matthew, that's not a big bass podcast question, but I can answer it. I will answer it because I worked at BASS for a long time, and Nathan did too, actually. And and I'll tell you what happens: uh, bass will take a tour out west, and they'll have a three or four tournament circuit out there for the opens or something. And a tennis will be pretty good the first year, and the second year it will go down, and the third year nobody shows up. So bass says, "Okay, lesson learned. We ain't coming back here." for a while and, and so they don't and and they get amnesia and they and then, then bass they... gets amnesia and they go <laughs> yeah. back and the yep. california the west coast audience the california oregon washington arizona guys show them again hey you really shouldn't have come back because we're not going to support you in numbers the west simply doesn't support those tours is the truth of it no. i actually did an analysis for bass fan on this same subject probably back in 2005 or 2006 <clears throat> and I think it has to do with the amount that... So there's just not a population of bass fishermen in the West compared to in the South. In the South, you can't sing a, swing a flipping stick without hitting four bass boats. In Southern California, or let's just call the whole state of California out, there's probably more bass boats in Knox County, Tennessee, than there are in the whole state of California. Okay, and then when you look at Oregon, Washington, Arizona, and Nevada, you've got maybe Anderson County, Tennessee, has more boats than those states. 
You just can't draw the people. And in order for these guys to fish, you're drawing people from Washington, Oregon, California, and the river states, and you're loading the, the field with 250 anglers, and they're having to drive 1,400 miles. Whereas if you have the southern you know, swing down here, uh, or the southern division or eastern division down here for the opens, uh, guys doesn't have to drive more than 600 miles to get to all those events. You know, now the EQs now are completely different, but... Nathan, we're hearing from a buddy of ours. Killer B Marine. Yep. Hello Izzy Morsi is in the pod. Yep. Izzy. <laughs> Izzy's a fascinating guy, engineer buddy of ours from Southern yep. California. Don't What's want up, to let on too much. Yeah, he's in the South right now, so welcome to America, Izzy. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> Chapman Wolf asks, do you guys think of a share lunker type program was started in California by some miracle? The glory days of giant bass there could return. If so, how do we start that kind of program? No. No, the problem with California is the Department of Fish and Game does not care about warm water fisheries. That's just it in a nutshell. You, you, had, a, a, you had an anomaly in San Diego because that was an experiment that was being conducted by some people that really it mattered to them. Uh, I'm talking about Orville Ball, I'm talking about Jim Brown, I'm talking about Larry Botroff, and they treated that as their own laboratory. Uh, and then other fish started getting out into other lakes, Casitas Clear Lake were the first two, and then Castaic and you know other lakes started getting these Florida fish. Um, what happened is that they essentially quit stocking trout down there. Um, and, and that's what killed it. And then Casitas had problems with drought, and then they quit stocking trout there. And they just, the, the only thing the Department of Fish and Game in California worries about is the selling of a trout stamp. And now what the state's doing is they're taking away waters to, from sport fishermen. I mean, it's, it's a huge legal battle that's going on down there. I honestly do not think that we'll ever get back to the days of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. But I still will discredit California for putting out a world record. I still think they have the capability of doing it. Oh, I'm sure. But, I'm sure Gavin Newsom will get all that straightened out, Terry. And, and, yeah, right. Yeah, I, like he's I, doing I, right now. I can't find um, my Ron DeSantis yeah. <laughs> figurine, but if I if it was within reach, I would I would show it. Darkman, <laughs> thanks, Eric, brother. Appreciate it. And same with Lure Lab. Yep. Yeah, you guys live down there, man. I mean, I, I feel for you. Hey, I just want to say thank you to everybody watching and listening because yeah. we got over 100 people tuned in live through YouTube right now. And, and honestly, Nathan, Terry, and I were, were worried if it would just be the three of us. Exactly. So, <laughs> we, we actually and, were talking about that before we hit the live button. <laughs> and because we can't see Nathan right now, we were thinking he might doze off. So right. <laughs> this is this is fabulous. Thank you all so much. Yeah, a ton and, of questions, which is awesome. Yeah, we uh, had some, we got another one here from uh, our friend Steve Barden. New question: Should private water records count for state and world records? Fabulous question, Stephen. Why are you getting ahead of us? Because we do want to have a show at some point on on what we'll call fair chase. For lack of uh, what I think, I, for lack of a better word, from what I can come up with, you know, in hunting. They have the, the, the organizations that keep the records, Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young, 
they have what are called fair chase records. They say you can't hunt from a, an airplane or a helicopter. You, you, any animal you kill within a high fence can't be counted and stuff like that. But, but fishing is, is pretty much just the Wild West for the most part. Some states have rules about private waters. Most states do not. Uh, some states have rules about, um, about fish that have been stocked and are not native. Some states do not. Uh, do I think private water records should count for state and world records? Uh, What's the definition of a private impoundment? I mean, yeah, you see a lot of weird like, definitions about that. Yeah, I, every lake that you go to in California, for the most part, you have to pay to launch. Does that make it private? I mean, it's open to the public. Uh, you know, are we talking golf course lakes or? That, you know, nobody's allowed to fish, supposedly, or, you know, at least they weren't in California. What's really going on here, Terry, is that Stephen is asking questions that we need to ask him when, he ha when we have him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's planning his next episode. <laughs> I, I see right through you, Barden. Uh, Kevin Will is asking, uh, when are we going to get the George Perry episodes? Ah. <laughs> Oh man, we it, th this has been as painful as the Hayes episodes. We, I should like say we like I have a turd in my pocket or something. Ken and Nathan wanted those episodes to be perfect, and I think they knocked it out of the park. Um, like I said, I was just Vanna White in those episodes, um, hold you know holding cue cards and shit. Uh, Not at all. Not at all. But uh, it, the the same thing is going on with with Perry. Because there's only one way to tell the story, and it's the right way. But the question is, is what is the right way? Do we do it in four episodes that are an hour and a half long? No. Ken wants Ken, and maybe maybe you folks can 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 give us some some cues. Ken wants to do it in like 15 shows that are 15 to 20 minutes apiece, and we dump them all at the same time. Is that That's right, Ken? Yeah, and I'm not saying that I'll be 15, 20 minutes a piece. Some of them might be longer, but there'll be a lot of 20-minute episodes. And yeah, I, I, that's my thinking right now is let's do a bunch of them and let's dump them all at one time and, and knock yourselves out. Because for the most part, my plan would be these would not be episodes that are told in any particular order. Dive in where you want. We've got a different aspect of the story to tell. Uh, what, I, what I can say, one of the things I'm really excited about, Terry's absolutely right. We want to do it as close to perfect as we can. And we realize that we're not going to get it perfect, but we want to tell it better than anybody else can. We want to tell it more thoroughly than anybody else. And if we can do those things, then we're going to be pretty happy. Well, the, pay, the, of the Perry thing, just like in Hayes, we've got information on the Perry thing that, I think nobody else has. We've looked at it longer. We've looked at it more carefully. And I think we're going to blow the doors off that story. We also have uh, some goals with that story. So we want to do it right. And I think right also would be cool. If we could find a company that would sponsor all those episodes, um, yeah. that'd be another big deal to us. Because, again, once you tell that Perry story, you can't go back to it in six months or two years and tell it again because you've you've got the toothpaste out of the tube and there it is and our goal with every episode of the big bass podcast is to tell it so well and so thoroughly that not only are we not going to do it again but nobody else would try it 
It's pretty cocky, I know. That's what the door slam <laughs> is, by the way. If you uh, have ever watched or listened to us all the way to the bitter end, the last thing you hear on the show is the door slam. And that was, that was my thing. Because my attitude was uh, that when we finish a show, we want anybody who might have been thinking about doing a show on that topic to hear the door slam and know that they're too late. That it's been done, that they can't do it more thoroughly uh, or more authoritatively than we can. And it's cocky, but without that kind of cockiness, I don't think we can do a very good job. Well, why do something if you're only going to do it half-ass? Right? I mean... It, it, if, if my military friends went out uh, on a mission, you know, and, and said, oh, we're just going to do it half-ass, I wouldn't have that many friends left, you know. I mean, I, I, I tried to hang out with people that, that do stuff 100%. And, you know, that's, you know, why I hang out with you, Ken. Because <laughs> you've, you've got the same attitude. I, I know where to do get, it. Do it right. I know where to get good cheap sushi. That's why you hang out with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a suggestion uh, here from L. Royson. Uh, you guys need to do a show giving folks a guide on what to do if you catch a potential record bass. Oh, that would be a good one. Yeah, that's a great idea, L. Royson. Thank you for that one. We'll absolutely. We actually, yeah. If uh, we're not going to put this out there, but we've got a we've got a massive list with hundreds of episode ideas. That we filter through every yeah, year or so. When Ken pitched this idea to me, I don't know, almost a year ago, he, he said, let me send you what I've got right now in my spreadsheet. And whenever he says that, I know I'm in for this unbelievable bit of data. Tedium. And, and there was 289 topics that you wanted to cover? Yeah. And, and then and, I added and like 40. That's actually like, yeah, we, we could easily we could easily yeah. double that number. In no we, could, we could do this for the rest of our lives. And, and, and then the beautiful thing is that you guys in the comments after each one of these videos keep putting stuff up there that we hadn't even thought of. Like, like your, your, you know, El Royston's, you know, comment right now. I mean, yeah, yeah. Steps I mean, and that's, uh, that's a good one. That's a great Be- topic. Because El Royston, nothing would bring us greater pleasure than someone blowing a world record because they don't watch the Big Bass podcast. Exactly. <laughs> we might it's, never stop laughing. Oh, or crying. <laughs> Only if it was one of us. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding, but that is a great idea. We need to do that. Bobby Colson. Do you have a show on the Cuba fishing in the 70s planned? Because we don't yet. The Cuba we, fishing in the 70s boils down to about 8 or 10 days. Because I think it was only about in 1977 when Field and Stream sent a group out there. No, uh, there was actually uh, American bass fishermen uh, went, went okay. down there three times. That's uh, right. American Ray Ang- wanted to um, go. Ray Scott wanted to go for a but while. But when, when uh, golly, what was that guy's name? Uh, Ray, Ray wanted to go, but when a, the guy that had American Angler set up. Dan White. When Dan White sets up the thing to go down there, and anybody that was going to go to Cuba had to go through Dan White, that's when Ray Scott said, I'm boycotting Cuba. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that? Oh, yes. I love Ray Scott. (laughs) I'm boycotting Cuba. But Ray Ray sometimes did some... He had two or three Scott on the lines, you know, his editorial that he had at the front of the magazine. 
he had two or three months in a row or issues in a row that were why we're boycotting Cuba. Yeah, after and it was Dan, White Dan White beat him to Cuba. After <laughs> yeah. he beat him to Cuba, Ray suddenly decided, you know, going to Cuba is un-American. And, yeah. uh, and we should all boycott but, that. But uh, it, Ray was amazing. You know, I'm going to plug the Bass Fishing Archives right now. I actually have two articles on the on those trips in Cuba on the Bass Fishing Archives website. So if you go to bass-archives.com, uh, the front page will come up, and then there's a search bar, excuse me, on the right, and just type in Cuba, and it will pop up the two stories that, that I've done on that. Great um, stuff on bass-archives.com. You search any old term from, say, the 70s and earlier, you're going to find everything you're going to want to find there. It's authoritative because of Dr. Batiste. Terry. Oh, can I call you Terry? <laughs> I'm not allowed to call him Terry privately, only on the show. LP Shooter says, please do the Alabama one. I guess oh, trust me. We'll... <laughs> yeah, George J. Nichols, 1926. Uh, briefly, briefly this for this long, the world record? Yeah. Yeah, we, we will do that, LP Shooter, because the problem with that one is not that it's not an amazing story. The problem with that one is gathering the information. It's really tough to get the information. As I mentioned earlier, there are a couple of, of books written by people who have now passed away that have never been published. I've seen excerpts of these things, and if I could get my hands on the manuscripts, we'd have done it by now. Yeah. It's a bear. I've purchased multiple books about Demopolis, Alabama history in hopes of finding snippets of this only to only to be disappointed. I've spent hundreds of dollars. Is that where Boyd lives? Is that where Boyd lives? Doesn't Boyd know? Boyd, Boyd he used to live there. Boyd lives in Gunnersville now. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Talk about Boyd Duckett, of course. Duckett lives in Gunnersville. He's got an amazing house. Whew. I stayed there and uh, just... He just got penalized home. for fishing off of his dock during off limits. Yeah. <laughs> You cannot you reach the that? water. Well, yeah, I guess you could. Yeah, I didn't know. He that. has a dock. He does have. He a was dock. fishing crappie off of his dock, and he had. Yeah, to he does, he does himself. have a little dock. I mean, the dock is in this little inlet. You know, it's not like you're. It's hardly. <laughs> it's like, come on, Boyd. You own MLF, don't you know the rules? Well, he's a part owner of MLF, but <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a pretty pretty stupid way to get DQ'd. Come on, Boyd. Come on, you're one of the smartest guys in the sport. Come on, Nathan. What do we got? Bill Caps asks, has there ever been a smallmouth bass caught in Alaska? No, sir. There's been one largemouth bass caught in Alaska, and it was caught four or five years ago, and it looked like it had been dragged down a dirt road for about 100 miles. The Alcan um, Highway. Yeah. It was, uh, it was to say that I'm skeptical of that catch would be an understatement. Maybe, maybe it was caught and everything is, is good about it, but until, until the 20-teens... No bass had ever been reported caught out of the state of Alaska, largemouth, smallmouth, spot, you name it. Nothing. Stephen Johnson asks, how did you all meet? We have the same On probation the officer. <laughs> <laughs> I called Ken out of the blue one day. Uh, I needed some, hell, I think it was, uh, I needed scans of the flipping series that, that Dave Myers did with D. Thomas and Dave Glebe. I called him out of the blue uh, because I figured of anybody that would have that issue, those issues, it would be him. Because I was doing a, an article. I can't remember who I was doing the article for. Um, 
I called him up and next thing you know, we're emailing back and forth and that was what, that was a long, that was time, a long ago. time ago. I don't think we actually met in person until maybe 2010. Is that possible? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Cause we emailed yeah. back and forth probably for two years or three years, something like that. Yeah. And then we yeah. actually met in the lobby of uh, the main classic Hilton hotel Marriott at in Birmingham. In, in Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. I walk in and this large individual walks up to me and I'm thinking, this can't be good. <laughs> Gene! Gene Gilliland! Gene, here we go. Oh, because history matters. Keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. That Thank means you, a Gene. lot coming from you. Gene is the uh, conservation director for BASS, longtime standout uh, biologist for the state of uh, Oklahoma, uh, one of the most knowledgeable guys you'll ever run into, Bass Fishing Hall of Fame inductee. Yep. Gene, Gene will chuckle at my saying that. Uh, wonderful guy. <laughs> wonderful guy. Long time. Now long time bass guy. You know, when I first, I knew Gene for, for many years before he, he took it, before he retired from Oklahoma and, and got his position at Bass and still the conservation director there. And if Bass is smart, they will keep him for as long as they possibly can. Ditto. South Jersey fishermen Ken and Terry, how many of these state record bass percent-wise have actually been caught on swim baits or large baits? Very small. I would say it's 5%. I would That's say it's less. something we agree on. I would say it's less than that. <laughs> it's got to be less than that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, California state record was, was caught on bait. right? Well, it depends. If you're looking at Krupe, Krupe caught his Aruho, so that was supposedly on a Ranoski swim bait, right? Yeah. Arujo um, is the official state record in California. Yeah, and and then, golly, I don't think any other one's been caught. So that would be 2%. Yeah, very, very, very small. Not many. And it's because not that many. If you really want to get down to the bass, popu bass fishing population, it's only a very small percentage of, of those of bass fishermen who throw swim baits an appreciable amount of the time. And then, and and then look at At the least historically. I mean, it's only come on for the last, and I'm talking, it was big in California in the late, mid to, mid 90s through today. Um, but it didn't, it didn't come out east until I would say five years ago is when it really gained some steam. Buka might have, I mean, Buka started pushing it hard with the, with the bull shad in the, the tens, the 2010s, something like that. Yeah. Um, but Mike, even, Mike Buka, even great, then, great swim bait manufacturer, the, the Buka Shad. Bull Shad. Um, the Bull Shad, I'm sorry. He's got, I mean, he's that's got, the bait that he, yeah, yeah, he's got the Bull Shad is what he's most famous for. He's made, been making that for at least 20 years, I think, or close to 20 years. No, not 20. He not didn't 20? Start. Okay. No, I think that was about 2007 or 2008. Okay, So, okay, bad. 15, we'll say 15 years. Or at least 15, at least 15. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was... It, you know, we had, uh, crap, what was the guy that came out and did Southern Trout Eaters? Matt, uh, Matt Peters? Matt Peters, you know. He, he came out here and, and tried to get people to start throwing swim baits out here. He made the, 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 the CD Southern Trout Eaters and had a website in the whole nine yards. And still no, and he did that in the early 2000s. And still nobody picked up on it. So... Well, I did a profile of Matt Peters and Bass Times back in about 2008, nine, something like that. And, and because I wanted to support him trying to get uh, the swim baits really moving 
in the in the deep south. And, yep. and he was making some inroads. Now, of course, now I think he's back in California. So kind of his effort at making that push is over. But other guys are making that push to uh, to bring swim baits to the to the deep south. Uh, Mike Gilbert mm -hmm. is pushing yep. his uh, working class zero baits, which are terrific, uh, yep. into this part of the world and finding some traction. And I think that Mike Gilbert is, apart from being a fascinating guy, you can find his stuff at working class zero. Dot com. He's got an amazing series of videos that he does here on YouTube that you should check out. He has a, a in, within his series of videos, and he's made about a hundred uh, over eight years or something like that. So he doesn't make them very fast, but when they come out, they're worth watching. Within his YouTube library, he has a series of videos he calls Theories on Swim Baiting. And if you're interested in swim baiting, I would recommend you, you absolutely watch that. Don't ever turn off Big Bass Podcast, but but do watch that. <laughs> anyway, what I think Mike Gilbert is doing that's so smart is he makes oh, soft God. swim baits, and um, and he is uh, he is introducing soft swim baits to Florida and things like that because here in Florida we don't we're we're kind of hesitant to throw the big wood stuff because you know we're we're scared to death that an alligator is going to eat it and and we're out. 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever it might be, and that's not cool. Nope. Team, Team Bass Pack. Yep. What's the record spotted bass? Well, Nothing. hold on for 10 minutes and we'll give you a new number because it keeps getting <laughs> broken. Bullard's um, Bar has destroyed the spotted bass record numerous times, many times within hours of each other. Um, it's what, 11, 12 or something like that now? It, it, yeah, it changes so fast, and, and I hate to say, I hate to do a, a cop-out on that because it's not my, my goal to tell you. Wait, I have it. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the Big Bass Podcast.com. There you go. We're going to go there, and we are going to, come on, load. If you, now, now. Go to world records, record. world record largemouth, world record small, uh, state record spotted. Okay, so state record spotted bass, go down to California. It's 11 pounds, 5 ounces, caught by Nathan Hillegas out of New Bullards Bar Reservoir, uh, February 20th, 2022. Yeah, Bullard's Bar has just destroyed it. In the 80s, it was Lake Paris in California. Yep. That 70s and 80s. Uh, 80s in California that Paris was killing it because <laughs> into, well into the 80s, the, the record was still out of Smith Lake in Alabama by Philip Terry. I thought, is, oh man. I got to go back and check that. I got, either it did not get broken well. until the mid 80s, I think. I thought it was broken in the like the early eighties, like eighty one, eighty two. Well, Philip Terry caught his record in. Oh, a, they were. Philip Terry we, caught his record in seventy seven. Got it certified in seventy eight, because that fish sat in a freezer a long time, and Philip Terry was the last spotted bass record outside the state of California. Philip Terry, we're looking yeah, for we you, get, brother. Yeah, we're looking for you. Yep. We want to do that. That would be story. that. We definitely want to do that story. Because those those fish in California that broke Terry's record all came out of Smith Lake. They are Smith Lake spotted bass. Yeah, they are. 
Little Rich asks, what is the most unbelievable lure used for a record bass? Cheese nuggets and vitamin <laughs> T aside, I'm thinking about early baits with marginal hooks and split rings. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting question and a tough one. I think that, uh, that there have been so many baits that you wouldn't think would catch a giant fish, but which have. And... Uh, that's a hard one. I, I, the most ridiculous. I, but hey, I'll, I'll say this: there was a fish out of uh, out of El Salto or Guerrero in the seventies. <laughs> it was on Roland Martin's TV show. This guy was claiming he had caught a nineteen on a helicopter lure, and exactly. I got to think that ranks pretty high. And that's actually the, on video. It's actually on video. <laughs> You can watch Roland and whoever he's out there oh. with fishing. And these two guys boat. come up to Roland's Roar's boat. Up. <laughs> That's we hilarious. Call, we call BS. <laughs> you caught it on the helicopter lure? Roland was aghast. A he couldn't believe it. Oh, my God. What a bad promo. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's got to be on YouTube. Not the, oh. not the finest hour of, of bass fishing programming. Uh-uh. But probably better than anything that ever came out on uh, the fishing hole. I'll say that. Oh, God. I love that show. What's so and sad. Virg and Virgil, Virgil Ward's show. <laughs> I, lo I loved all those shows. Holy mackerel. The only one that I didn't like was American Angler with John Fox. Oh. John was an interesting character. Oh, my gosh. We need to do a John Fox story because John. He's got uh, four fish he... over 20. <laughs> John, who passed away a few years ago at the age of about 90, I think. Um, I liked John personally. Just such an engaging guy. But when he moved to Florida in the 80s or 90s and started guiding out at the Stick Marsh, he would run ads in Bassmaster Magazine claiming multiple fish over 20 pounds. And, and one of his keys to doing that was um, the fact that you weren't allowed to keep a fish out of the Stick Marsh. You had to release them. So he was using these measurement formulas of his own device to uh, come up with some of these weights. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of easy to crack 20. And, I, and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he had some bad scales in the boat. I'm not saying that. I'm saying maybe he had some bad scales in the boat. Yep. That could make your... JP, sorry you missed it, man. I don't know. We're going to... We were going to do this for an hour and a half and we're already 20 minutes over so i'm i'm having fun i hope i hope Same the here. folks who are who are, are watching and and listening are having a good time if they're having half as good a time as i am then uh we appreciate well that's fabulous and amazing and surprising um but uh, we still got 97 folks tuned in to our Holy live crap. show wow that's and, insane and thank you all so much Dustin Grant wants to know who the coolest person you've met in the fishing industry is. I would answer for Terry, but modesty prevents me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, it's how you define cool. I mean, I, Bill Dance, I mean, I, I would be remiss if, I, if it wasn't him. I mean, it, there's been a lot of really cool people that I've met. You know, I actually, I've met a lot of them. <laughs> Does it get cooler than to meet Bill Dance or Rick Clun or, yeah. in my case, David Hayes or Ray Scott yeah. or Bob Cobb or, 
I mean, yeah, I, yeah, and I've I've met every one of those except for David Hayes. Um, never got an opportunity to to you you had a chance to to meet Billy Westmoreland. Westmoreland um, was an amazing uh, guy. That would have been um, that would have been awesome. Yeah, you know, I've, uh, I've I've had more opportunities than Terry has because Terry's uh, gone out and earned a nice living for himself. Where I, you know, I'm I'm relying on these. Uh, these donations through the chat here. To, oh God! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not that. No, bad, I, but, you know, but, but if, I've, we, I've if we go back to uh, the big bass podcast topics, I actually stayed at Mike Long's house one time. Um, you know, that was a, you know, that was a pretty big deal back in, I think it was 2006 or 2007 when I did that. Huge deal. You know, I, 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 mean, I know Mike pretty well. One of these days, I'm, I want to extend an invitation for Mike to join us on the Big Bass Podcast. I'd yep, like to, absolutely. I'd like to hear his side of that story. Of that. Yep. Yeah, uh, but mm-hmm. it's so many cool people, and you know, you know, most of the people I know, most of the people in my phone contacts list are people I've met through bass fishing, and uh, I hate to think of how sad my life would be if I had never discovered bass fishing and got into it. My life would be. Uh, a sad little shadow of what it is now. Yeah, I think you you said something about you know all your friends that you have are bass fishermen, uh, and, pretty much. and it's pretty much pretty much the same with me. I've had a professional career for thirty years now, and I have friends at work. But the people that I when I get home and if I get on the phone or I get on the internet, it's all bass fishermen. I know Terry 100%. Batiste and Nathan Benson because of bass fishing. Yeah. I would not know either of those guys. I know Brian the Carpenter. Uh, he and Nathan are about, and I are about to start another podcast. I know Brian the Carpenter because of bass fishing. Um, yep. Anything else, Nathan? Yep. Uh, Rich again. How many record bass do you think have been caught on JDM baits? Approximately zero. Rich, I'm not saying zero, but I'm saying it's a tiny number. It's a tiny number because you got to keep in mind, most record bass are caught through luck. Let's let's get that out there. Most record bass are caught not by somebody targeting a record bass, uh, not by somebody who even knows what the record is most often. And when you consider how few JDM baits are, are really out there, uh, Japan domestic market, then then it's it's practically nothing. Well, just look look, look at it this scientifically. All right, all right. What are the last three records that were caught? All right. So last year we had the smallmouth record uh, caught out of Ontario, right? That was caught on a tube or something, or wasn't it? Yeah. Um, we had the spotted bass. I think that was caught on a senko. That was caught out in twenty two. Okay, so um, soft plastics rule. Yeah. Uh, what was the last, I mean, I don't even know what the last state record largemouth, uh, when was the last one caught? I mean, I guess I could go to the website and look. Yeah, we, we can do that, that, but. We got all that data on the website, but you got a spreadsheet probably right in front of you too, so. Of course I do. Why wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, there, well, there have been a number, but in 2016, the Delaware record was set. And that fish was caught on a, uh, a Strike King spinnerbait. Um, let's see what else I got later than that. In 2019, 
the Kentucky largemouth record fell to a six-inch plastic lizard. Um, it's uh, it's it's not going to be very many JDM baits, Rich. Very, and then the other few. thing is, is that the JDM baits did not get to the United States until the the mid '90s. You know, so they don't have a very long play. And then they hit the West Coast, and just like everything else, everything that hits the West Coast, it takes a long time to filter east. I mean, how long did it take yeah. guys in the South to pick up, actually go out and buy a Senko? I mean, it took four or five years time. for the Senko to catch on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people so. like to ask me, oh, did. Did the Senko win uh, Best of Show at, at ICAST in, in 1995 or 96? And I'm thinking, well, A, it probably wasn't entered. It wasn't entered because it was JDM. That bait was being sold only in Japan for the first five years it was made. It was not an exciting bait. It's, it is the dullest bait you've ever seen. Um, yeah. and, and it just happens to be arguably the best bait ever made. Arguably, I think. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, not, not many on the JDM front. What else we got, Nathan? Jason says he loves that Terry has backup glasses. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what happens when you get old. These are my computer glasses, and these are my talking to people glasses. So, yeah, it sucks. Not a good one here from Chris. He asks, uh, have you ever seen a photo of a giant fish but can never put the story together of the fish? Oh, God. Yeah, it's a sense... That's a daily occurrence here. Yeah, a lot, Chris. It happens a lot. And there's a lot of cases where I think photos have been faked. But unless you can get a copy, unless you can get the original, the negative. You, you, can't, you can't really make that determination in an authoritative way. Um, I think that, uh, that the most recent alleged photo of George Perry with his record largemouth is an absolute fraud just a joke of a fraud but without the uh without the negative or or the original digital image you know even the fbi can't make a determination on it because i've tried to get some of that done but yeah it happens all the time it happens all the time follow up to that is there a chance to do an episode on all those old-timey pictures of huge bass caught back in the day real or not there's another cool one that's another good idea it is, but you know that that's a tough one because uh, yeah, there are and, and and you know you know Terry what what all those old pictures have in common, don't you? They're black and white. <laughs> they all come out of Florida. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they all come out of Florida because that's where all the big yeah, fish so were. So they're all hoaxes. <laughs> back in the day, no, they're not all hoaxes. But you know what what happens more often than than that because there are a lot of pictures of fish that have got to be. 12 13 15 maybe 16 pounds uh but the biggest fish that we hear about including out of florida most often there is no picture but quite often there's a lot of substantiating evidence which makes them legit and and anybody who hasn't listened to our very first episode or, or watched it on a, a guy named hw ross he caught a 23 pounder out of central florida in 1884 and I think Terry and I both believe that was absolutely a legitimate catch. But there are no photos because it was 1884. And unless H.W. Ross dragged that photo to a Civil War 
Battleground, which was over by then, <laughs> or a, a photo studio, there was simply no way to get a picture made of yeah. that fish. Instead, he sent the maxillary bone and the skeleton of the fish to Forest and Stream magazine to substantiate it. But anyway, yeah, as many giant pictures of fish as there are, unfortunately, there are a lot more catches that were lost without a picture. Yeah. I mean, e even in the 20s and the 30s, it was tough to get a picture of a fish. Yeah. You know, um, can't be, it's not like today where everybody's got a camera in their phone. Yeah, you now know. you don't. Yeah, now your phone is the least thing a lot of people do with their phone is talk on it. Yeah. Um, and Terry's always busy taking selfies and pictures of his food and stuff like that. Exactly. <laughs> Just check my Instagram account out. <laughs> I, I think I think Kyle's asking uh, earlier, but when we were talking about where the next uh, world record could come from. Um, he asks, what about Australia? Go ahead, Terry. They don't Break have largemouth bass. Break his heart. Yeah, there you go. They don't have largemouth bass in Australia. They have a fish that they call a bass that kind of looks like a bass, but it's different. They don't get that big. Uh, and then they have the Murray cod, which are the biggest documented freshwater fish that exist. Um, you know, they get approaching 100 pounds. Oliver Nye, who's a good friend of mine, um, he just got back from fishing in Australia. I think they had a 70-pounder that they caught on a swim, or a swim bait. Wow. But then they have another, I think there's, they actually have a fish down there that they call the black bass, but it's not a black bass that you would It looks see quite the, similar. It looks similar, but it's black. You know, there's really no color. It's grayish black. It's not the same fish. And, so. and, and when I'm hearing Terry talk about this, uh, one of the things I'm thinking is it makes it even more impressive that a guy like Carl Jockamson could come out oh, of God. Australia and, and compete effectively uh, at the highest level in the U.S. Yep. So kudos to Carl. Yeah, it says a lot of his, you know, abilities. Just a damn good fisherman. But and, yeah, and the no, crazy thing is, is most no of their world... tournaments down in Australia are fished at night. They don't fish during the day from what I understand. But, you know, and, and go, let's go back to something that Stephen Barden said on one of our shows earlier where Stephen was our guest. Um, the, um, if they were to introduce largemouth bass to Australia, you know, turn this new species loose on what they've already got down under, then the chances of them growing a world record in 12 or 15 years might be pretty significant. But having just been down there for 10 days... There's no way in hell that that will ever happen. I mean, they are, when, when you think of uh, extreme environmentalists, that's the Aussies. They don't want anyone to screw up their Darwin experiment that they have going on down there. Koala, I mean, they have like 50 different species of, of mammals down there that don't exist anywhere but in Australia. And the same with fish. So there's no They also have it. pretty much all of the most poisonous snakes, which is why I will not be visiting Australia. Oh, they're not just poisonous snakes. They've got scorpion. They've got all sorts of stuff. I mean, everything down there wants to kill you. I want no part of Down Under. I want no part of that. Yeah. What do we got, Nathan? Uh, Brown Bait Company just commented on the H.W. Ross 
po- uh, episode, <laughs> saying that uh, he was impressed with your research on that one. Thank you very much. That was uh, that was a lot of tedium, but uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, we we had to dig pretty deep to to locate Mr. Ross. I think the coolest thing about that is that we knew that that was going to be our first show. We knew it. It had to be our first show. And <laughs> Ken did not know who H.W. Ross was until a week before the show aired. Well, we had read his name for decades. For read decades, his name. we had read his name. But we didn't really know who he was because I had kept running into brick walls, brick wall, brick wall, brick wall. And, and all we knew about him was H.W. Ross. Ross is a pretty common name. H.W. doesn't get me much closer. We didn't know where he was from. We didn't know. We, we knew he, I think, uh, we saw his, a passage about this. It's a paragraph in Henshaw's second book. More about 18, the Black Bass. More about the Black Bass in 1889. It's a paragraph. That's all there is. And it, it did say that he, he lived in Jacksonville, or he was, he was visiting Central Florida. It didn't say he was from Jacksonville. I found that out later. Uh, it said he was visiting Central Florida. So I didn't know if he's from Ohio or Wisconsin or where. But he was visiting Central Florida. Okay. And, um, and I tracked him down through newspapers.com. And I, I got a lead on, on who he was. He was obviously an outdoorsman, bass fisherman, occasional hunter. All right, now I'm getting somewhere. I found out that his uncle was a guy named Shipley, who was famous as a, uh, a hotel, a hotelier, let's say. He ran a few hotels in Florida. All right, now I got gotcha. you. Now I got, his name was Shipman. So I said, okay, now, now I got gotcha. you. I know who your uncle is. So I dig into his uncle, and, um, and I've got to find out who Hayes' Aras's parents are. So I search, I search Shipman's relatives, nothing, nobody named Ross. I search Shipman's wife, nothing. So I'm thinking, what the? But then I found out Shipman had another wife later. And one of her uh, siblings married somebody named Ross. Boom, it all, boom. at that point, I, I had clippings. At that point, I could go on to Ancestry.com and I could find him and I could nail down that he was in all the right places that I needed him to be to back it up and, and pull it together. He was going to be the right age. He was exactly the right guy. Uh, that was a revelation to me. And I got all that because I worked on it hour after hour after hour after hour. Finally got it just like more, less than 24 hours before we recorded the episode. Exactly. I remember that phone call. It was like, I found him! <laughs> so, who the hell did you find? Because <laughs> there was no, no way in hell he had found H.W. Ross. Yeah, it was... Well, I mean, other, you spent 40 years looking for that guy. I spent, I spent, yeah, decades looking for that guy. I spent 40 years looking for that guy. The other guy I, I spent decades looking for, and I found him six or seven years ago, was Jack Page. The guy who fished with uh, Perry. Uh, George Perry in 1932 when Perry allegedly caught his world record. I found him too. And we're going to tell the story of, of Jack Page as well. And the, my big mistake in that was I told another guy that I found him. And the other guy beat me to publishing a story. Aye. 
Yeah, that wasn't cool. I wasn't happy about that. No. But uh, it wasn't much of a story, so I'm not not too worried about it. Ah, another question. Yeah, on that subject, Chris asked, do you know where George Perry's lure is today? Love the question, Terry, if you don't mind my jumping in. Uh, I know George Perry's son, who's also named George, George L. Perry instead of George Washington Perry, and his nickname is uh, Daisy, as in Lazy Daisy. That's what his dad used to call him. Uh, and, and I asked George, the son, I said, whatever happened to that bait, whatever happened to that tackle box, whatever happened to that rod, that reel? He said, well, Dad was a big horse trader. Dad rarely held on to anything very long. He probably traded it for a gun or another fishing rod or another fishing lure or something like that. So he said it almost certainly wound up being traded away to somebody else. So we'll, we'll never know. Interesting oh. question here uh, from Paul English. I've heard from American servicemen that Saddam Hussein's sons had planted largemouth bass in the waters around the palaces in Iraq. Have you heard this? Uh, okay, so I have friends that stayed at the palace uh, that were in the military. I have not, and they're, I, I, two of them are bass fishermen. I have not heard that. So now that's going to, I'm actually going to North Carolina this weekend to fish a tournament with one of them. And I will see the other one, and I will ask both of them if there were largemouth bass in in the ponds around the palace. I will ask that question and get an answer. Paul, thank <laughs> you. You're going to drive Terry nuts for the next few days. Thank you for that, Paul. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a good question. I like it. I like it. Gene, again, uh, asks, how does the change in species definition affect these records, i.e. Alabama bass versus spotted bass? Love the question. And, and Gene, Golly, it's, it's, the fault of, it's the fault of people like you who are involved with the American Fishery <laughs> Society and who are too smart for their own good, who learn all these genetic facts about these fish and decide that, oh, there's the Alabama spot and there's the Henshaw spot. And there's the this and there's the that. And so when I first got serious about about the bass species and catching them and so forth, there were maybe six, seven, eight uh, my crop, members of the Micropterus genus. Now there's maybe more than double that. Uh, I like to look at it in a positive way, Terry. I figure that's just more shows for us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, what do we... What, what what was well, the fish? It, what was the, the 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 terry fish out of Smith Lake? What was that? An that's Alabama an Alabama spot. spot. Yeah, it was an Alabama spot. Absolutely. But you, uh, you know, know. It, in reality, the answer to Gene's question. Thank you for the question, Gene. Is actually quite simple. Th these records are determined by the record keeping organizations. So, and what you find is kind of interesting and bizarre, and maybe even ridiculous on some level, is that IGFA will keep records in, in these categories and the freshwater fishing hall of fame will do it in these other categories and every state will then do it 50 other ways so yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> don't try to defend yourself now gene i'm a lumper not a splitter, not a splitter. <laughs> well you know how it yeah. is I mean, in that scientific community terry and you know this because you work in that scientific community uh, a lot of these biologists, these fisheries biologists, they, they'll get published in, in the AFS 
big publication. It's a, it's a PhD for a lot of people, right? You yeah. know, to discover a, a, a new subspecies of fish or genus or whatever. I mean, it's that is a PhD degree. All of a sudden, you're woo, put on a pedestal and people fan you with, you know, palm fronds and feed you eggs and stuff. And <laughs> Yeah, it's... Uh, Sorry, Gene, I didn't mean to lump you. Yeah. Those others. No, it's, uh, I, you know, I don't know, Gene. I don't know how you take care of it. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's fascinating. I think it's more fodder for us. So I'm not, I'm not opposed. But, but, but let's boil it down. There are a handful of records that really matter in our community. And high above all of them is, is the largemouth bass, which, which also includes the Florida largemouth bass. And then, Below that, in terms of interest and, and monetary influence and so forth, you have the smallmouth, and then you have the spot. For the most part, people are not as interested in the other species because they don't have access to them. They may have access to a couple of them, but not to many of them. Now, if you live somewhere around that Georgia-Alabama state line, you can just about catch everything on the list except maybe the Guadalupe in, yeah. in, in, the, in a weekend if you really wanted to make the effort. Yeah. South Jersey Fisherman is asking, uh, what do you think it takes as an angler to catch a record-sized fish? How long do you think it takes for someone to fish before catching a fish of that caliber? Oh, God. Uh, South Jersey, I think that uh, you've already blown your best chance. Your best chance is when you went fishing for the very first time and had no idea what you were doing. Uh, now that you've blown that beginner's luck opportunity, you're screwed. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, I think that... Uh... There's only a certain number of bodies of water that are capable of producing records, A, uh, and, and not many people get an opportunity to fish those places. Uh, I, you know, I, I think the, the odds are way low. I mean, it's millions, million to one. You it know, is. It, it, even guys that are targeting these fish, it's still. But you, you make the best point. It's... Uh... South Jersey, if you're fishing in the right places, you've just done more to increase your chances than you, anything else you can do. You don't need to cast better. You don't need to tie a better knot. You don't need to be better at bait selection. If you've just picked, if you've just put yourself on the waters that are capable of producing that quality fish, you've just done more for yourself than anything else. And the next thing you can do that'll really help you is spend as much time on the water as possible. Yeah. And, and while you're doing that, learn to tie better knots and choose better lures. But, but yeah. by far, fishing the right places and, and being out there a lot are, are the most you can do. Yeah. So if you're trying to break the New Jersey state record for largemouth, smallmouth, I mean, I, I'd go fish the lakes that are known for producing the biggest fish. That have produced I, that's the only thing I could say. Eights, nines, and tens. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Lincoln's Ted Lincoln, fishing life. Up, He's uh, asking if you know about the bass in the Philippines. I don't. Uh, I assume that they got there because we, as uh, Americans, took them over there either after World War One or before or after World War Two. But I had no idea that there were bass in the Philippines, Ted. Um, I didn't either. Where Where is the Philippines? Um, Philippines is. In terms of uh, latitudinally, it would be 
north of Australia. Uh, so we're talking. Ah. Rob, yeah. So we're we're talking. I would say lower in latitude than Florida on the southern hemisphere. Okay, but the southern hemisphere, not the northern hemisphere. So is it roughly the equivalent of Florida? Yes, yeah, the, yeah, the equivalent. But but it's the on the, the other side is opposite, yeah. right? So it's uh, below the equator. So so Ted says that the biggest bass he's ever hooked was in the Philippines. Wow, that's cool. I yeah. had no idea. So. <laughs> Hey, there have been some giants from uh, from below the equator, like we're talking about Yohoa in the Honduras. Uh, certainly reports out of giant fish from other parts of South America. Not a lot of substantiation, but a lot of reports. Yep. Izzy's asking, do you guys believe the advancements Izzy? in sonar will have a big impact, small impact, or no impact on potential future records? Oh, we've talked about this, I think, a couple times. I think, yeah. Izzy, I think that if they had had forward-facing sonar in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s in California, they'd have broken the largemouth record multiple, multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's the that. reason they're producing all these records out of OHIV, or that's why they're catching a lot of those fish out of OHIV. Yep. Guys like Josh Jones have become really proficient at identifying a big fish so that he knows, and, and if you listen to any of the interviews done with Josh Jones, whom I don't know personally, but obviously a, a skilled angler, uh, he knows exactly what a, a double-digit fish looks like on his electronics, and he's not making a cast unless he's looking at a double-digit fish. Yep. Izzy! We love Izzy. Walleye Channel is asking, is it possible to grow a southern record on an owlwife diet? We know they've got alewives in Dale Hollow, so uh, yeah, they're already growing southern records um, on smallmouth bass. Anyway, I don't know how far south an alewife can live. I don't, as far as I know, we don't have them down here in Florida. I've not heard of them, maybe in California, but um, that's a that's a great question for Steve Barden when we get and, him. And uh, the thing about the alewife is it is essentially a freshwater smelt. And smelt are, are noted for being real oily fish. And it's those oils that are, I mean, it's what, what makes trout, you know, so potent as a, for a diet, um, is that they got the right type of uh, food makeup. Bobby Colson is asking, what are y'all's feelings about line class records? Uh-oh. <laughs> Terry, that's probably for you. We have different. Uh, Ken Ken thinks that the, that line class records are dumb. No, I, I think they're I think they're boring. Boring. Okay, but catching a four pound or a, a ten pound fish on four pound line isn't boring. No, I have not. never done it. I have never done it, but I have caught six and seven pounders on four pound. Um, it's pretty freaking exciting, you know. I I I think fishing light line. Or, or, you know, going out and, and, and maybe not targeting a 12-pound class record or a 14-pound class record or, you know, all this other stuff. But, you know, fishing light line for big fish is, has always been something that I've enjoyed doing. I would only say this. Um, I, think they're, I think line class records are mostly boring. I think that uh, when a guy like Danny Cadota or Bob Krupe has a line class record, 
they didn't go out trying to set a line class record. They went out trying to catch a world record, and they were using lines that they thought were necessary to catch that caliber of fish. 100%. I have tremendous respect for that. They were using super light lines because they were dealing with crystal clear water. More power to them. Those guys are superior, superior big bass anglers. Now, there's another class of angler out there who is going out there saying, well, I'm going to fish with two-pound line, and, and I'm going to target uh, a, a three-pound smallmouth because I know that'll set my state record for a two-pound line. And, and I know some guys who do that. And the one thing they share, or one thing they seem to have in common is they are wankers. And, oh, um, God. <laughs> Tell us how you feel. <laughs> and, and I, you know, they, they, they bore me to tears. Um, so I, I don't, we're, we're eventually going to do some line class records because there are some line class records out there that are interesting, that are absolutely fascinating. And I can't think about line class records without remembering a, a line that Berkeley came out with in the nineties. They called it world record class line. And yeah, let, let this be a, a, maybe an interesting tidbit for folks on, on American line ratings. Um, so Berkeley comes out with this uh, world record class fishing line, and they could not sell it to save their lives. You know what the problem with it was? It broke at the test it was supposed to break at. So, so if it said 10-pound <laughs> test, it would break when you put 10 pounds of pressure on it. That's what you want if you're trying to set a record with IGFA, because IGFA, or the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, they demand that you send in a section of a line, a certain length of line, with your application and they check it so your line may may come off the spool and it says 10 but when they get it and they test it it's really 14 okay so you say what the hell you know what? 10 pound no no and that's what igfa is trying to check now this is not a joke this is a conversation i've had with most of the line manufacturers that sell fishing line in america this is true for monofilament and fluorocarbon, but especially true for braid. The braid you buy and that says 20 pound test braid actually will test 40. And they will put a label on it that says 40 and send it to every other country in the world because it's honest to goodness 40 pound braid. And people in other countries want to know what it really tests. In America, they'll take the 40-pound braid and put a 20-pound label on it because Americans aren't happy if it breaks when it's supposed to break. <laughs> and that is every fishing line manufacturer on the planet. The, it's not as exaggerated for fluorocarbon or mono, but it's also exaggerated, probably by about 50%. So if you're, if you're throwing 10-pound fluoro, it probably breaks it close to 15 because these manufacturers have learned that they will get nothing but complaints and, and lose business if their stuff actually breaks where it's said it, it says it's going to break so that's a little we used to fish green max when i was a kid i mean up until i left california green maximums with everybody in southern california threw yeah and, and people eight, in the east eight. didn't throw maxima nobody threw no. maxima in the east Eight pound broke at like 12, 10 pound broke at 15, t uh, 12 pound broke at 18. I mean, it was, it was 
strong line, you know, oh, it's I mean, strong line, unbelievably strong line. But it, you know, you couldn't use it if you were trying to get a record. I mean, four broke it like eight. I mean, it was yeah. Anybody who <laughs> thinks anybody who thinks these lines are better because they yeah. break at a higher higher level than than on the label. These folks who make fishing line, they know exactly when that stuff is going to break, but yeah. they're putting a different label on it because they know their market so well. Yep. So anyway, sorry, that was a, a long roundabout thing to answer. What do I think or what do we think about line class records? Tacklecraft is asking, has La Perla Ranch pumped out any fish of significant size? Uh, yeah, for, for anybody who's not familiar with La Perla, La Perla Ranch is, is basically within rock-throwing distance of the Mexican border in Texas. Uh, it was started by, I'm running Terry Battisti off, I can't believe that. Uh, uh, it was started by a, a, I believe he was a dentist, but he might have been a surgeon. I can't remember the gentleman's name now. I've actually been to La Perla, I've actually fished La Perla. Uh, interesting, fascinating place. He was building these lakes out there and he was trying to grow a world record. He was feeding them all kinds of different stuff, uh, including some plant-based food. And he was growing some big fish. I can't remember what his best was, but it wasn't anywhere near a world record. Now, I went out there about eight or nine years ago and, uh, and fished it and saw some decent fish caught. I don't think I saw anything over 10 caught out there. But my understanding is, and I, I could be wildly wrong, but my understanding is he is no longer running it as an operation to try to grow a record fish. He never got very close, and, and he's no longer in the business of doing that. I think I might have even heard a, a report that uh, he had sold a property, but I'm not sure. Is that uh, the guy that was feeding his fish like shrimp and stuff? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, interesting place, you know, uh, yet another Texas uh, proponent trying to trying to grow a record, but this guy did not get very close. He had one, one interesting pond he had out there. Uh, you could, it was, it was not a big deal to catch a 30-pound redfish out of one of his ponds. So you'd sling a you'd sling a bait out there, and you're you're maybe waking a spinner bait back, and all of a sudden, wham! And you're thinking, please be a bass, please be a bass, please be a bass. No, no, not a bass. Um, David is asking. David Jean. Oh yeah, our buddy, our buddy. Racer, Lim you. <laughs> Limiting to largemouth and smallmouth only. Which one of the two world records will most likely be broken next? That's easy. The largemouth record. Now, Stephen Barden won't tell you it's easy, and Terry Battisti might not tell you it's easy, but I know, David. I know the answer. Yeah, it's... I, I, I have no idea, to be honest with you. I think it's a 50-50. You know. Someone gets on We're, the right fish at Dorshack. The second and... best smallmouth bass ever caught is significantly smaller than the world record pound smaller that's 10 percent. that's significantly smaller and 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 that's one of the reasons why i think that uh, i'm going to tell you exactly how much smaller uh and i think that's the big problem it, it's it's nine percent smaller and that's just too much that's not, I'm not saying it can't be broken, but that's too much to put the odds on the smallmouth falling before the largemouth. 
BTC, why are you taking stupid pictures of me? <laughs> oh, God. He's taking pictures of, of you on screen? Yeah. <laughs> Thank God it's impossible to take a picture of me. Uh, that looks bad. I have... <laughs> oh, my God. Nathan, what do we got? Oh, just in, in reply to that, uh, Clay said, I think the Smalley record falls in three years or less. Largemouth is way out of sight. All right, Clay. I'll, I'll take some of that action. Um, remember that the second best smallmouth in history was caught in 1969, whereas the uh, the tie for the world record largemouth was caught, you know, less than 15 years ago. And so, then if you look at Krupy's 2201, that was caught. You know, yeah, that, that was, was caught less than 30 years ago. 1991, yeah, about 30 years ago. So mm -hmm. uh, they've knocked on the door of the largemouth record. Nobody's put a scare into David Hayes. And then you've got you got Weekly's fish that was twenty five oh one. Yeah, you know, uh, God, that upset. would put the that would put the record chase out of business. Not that the record chase is yeah. is is all, isn't already almost out of business for whatever reason. Well, the, the fact they're not stocking so many trout in California anymore has really put the hurts on the uh, the drive to catch a new world record largemouth. No, that just kills me that that they snagged that fish and it, it's got to kill them. Yeah. I mean, they, they gave up the hunt. Krupy gave up his hunt. Uh, Kadota gave up his hunt. Um, these guys who had the biggest drive to try to catch a record. Um, well, cast eight got, got ruined and that was Kadota's yeah. Porter you know. Hall who, uh, Porter Hall, if you're listening or if folks who know Porter Hall, Love to have yeah. Porter Hall come on here sometime. He's one of the guys who tried to raise a world record. Yep. So many people to talk to. Folks, we're, we're excited about the shows we have in mind for the future. And, and please, you know, one of the reasons we give out our email address at the end of every program is because we would like to hear from you uh, privately. Let us know what you'd like us to do next. If you've got a yeah. lead on a cool story or got some information about a catch that maybe we don't have uh, yeah. share that that, that kind of lead goes a long way to helping us uh, decide yes we can do this story we're looking at doing a story right now on ohio and not the ohio state record but i'm actually looking at doing a story on the fish on a fish that was caught in 1972 and i think maybe should have been the state record for a while but it wasn't recognized for a weird reason so if you got if you got stuff like that yeah. we'd love to hear you yeah and it will wrap the the, the the official state record into that story, too. There's Bill Sonnet. All right. All yep. right, Bill. He's asking if there are any records of very large bass caught on topwater baits. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are, are plenty of, of topwater baits that have produced big fish, Bill. Um, in fact, there is at least the, the argument or the perception that uh, Perry was fishing his Creek Chub Fintail Shiner basically as a topwater bait when his fish allegedly struck. He talked about seeing this mysterious ripple on the water and he throws out there and he basically gives the bait a twitch and then, then the whole world exploded, you know, that kind of stuff, depending on which of the many variations of that story you buy into. Walleye Channel is just asking, can we send you photos and questions? Well, are you going to send the kind of photos that Brian the Carpenter takes of Terry? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> or if they're if they're done with taste. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Send questions, photos. Yeah, man. Um, we like I said, we'd love to hear from you. If it's it put NS. What is it? Not suitable for work in the in the in the title or yeah NSFW. The subject. <laughs> yeah, we are we are uh, we are a, we are a tribe, folks. It's you and us. We don't know yeah. what our problem is, but we know it's hard to pronounce. And and uh, we are we are one of you. We're just uh, we're just the extra geeky ones who are willing to take the time and and energy and, and and try to try to tell these stories. But we are we are you. South Jersey again. He's asking, how much would the world record bass be worth if you somehow published the article before releasing it and somehow got sponsor deals? Wow, tough question. Tough question. You know, so much about that is going to be determined by who catches it. Um, the, the glory days of big money and the, and the largemouth bass record were the early 2000s. You had organizations like the Big Bass Record Club putting up bounties of as much as $8 million then. Most of those bounties have fallen apart. And, and it's kind of ironic because on the one hand, nobody's knocked on the door of the world record in a long, long time, so you'd think now would be a great time to put a bounty out there because you won't have to pay it off. Um, what do you think, Doctor? Uh, I, I just... Everybody has always said million bucks, and I just don't see it. I mean... You, you catch mm. it, uh, you're going to have to keep it alive. Um, that the, the good thing going about today is that most likely it will be caught on video because everybody's got a GoPro these days. You know, there's a ton of people. I mean, just look at, look at Butch Brown and, and Oliver Nye, probably the two biggest fish ever recorded uh, cast to catch and uh but they haven't i mean you can arguably say that butch brown and oliver have made money off of those those recordings because they have youtube channels that make money off of those recordings uh and they've probably gotten them some sponsorship money um in in ways but is it worth has it have those two fish been worth a million bucks i don't think so i know i know they haven't uh would a 23 and a half pound fish garner a million bucks? Maybe if it was on video and it was caught on a bait. I mean, not live bait. Um, yeah, we talked about Karita's fish and Karita, through no fault of his own, did everything wrong. He caught it on live bait. He doesn't speak English. He caught it on JDM products, which you can't get in the U.S. He, um, you know, he just did everything wrong uh, and, if, and if, if you want to make money. Payment. Cut it, in Japan. cut it in Japan. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the money in bass fishing's here. It's not in Japan. It's not in Africa. It's not in Italy or Portugal or Spain. It's here in the United States, and so it has to come out of the United States to make any money on it. I think Korea mm-hmm. got a, a he got a Skeeter bass boat, uh, maybe some electronics, uh, but everything else that he got was all Japanese stuff. Japanese rod line, uh, reels, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, and in Japan, that, that's an enemy fish, you know. Uh, largemouth bass an enemy fish. You're not supposed to keep them. You have to be a, a specially licensed guide to be allowed yeah. to release those fish. So you're supposed to kill them. Mm-hmm. So. Nathan? Yeah, he just, South Jersey again, just added to that. Why did they put bounties on those records? 
was it for endorsement? Yeah, it was uh, the Big Bass Record Club organized by a guy named Mickey Owens, who I think was a car dealer in Tampa. Um, I was on the board of governors or that organization for a while, along with Doug Hannon and some others. And uh, the plan, of course, they had was sell memberships. You could not win the bounty unless you paid like 20 bucks a year to be a member. And they were giving away prizes, not just for the world record, but also for state records and so forth. So you had an incentive to join even if you lived in a place that was never going to produce a world record largemouth. Um, yeah, but they were trying to make money off that. They also wanted to get the fish. So if you, uh, there you go, Rich, I like your question uh, or statement. Um, but what they, were, what they were trying to do was if you caught the fish, they wanted you to try to keep it alive and they, they would get possession of the fish. So they were planning on showing it, displaying it and things like that. So obviously any effort like that, any sort of bounty, uh, the people behind it have a plan to make money on it. And, and hey, more power to them. If they're going to pay a million, they deserve to try to make some money of their own to get some of that money back. But it was insurance policy that was going to pay the eight mil. Mm -hmm. I should pull out my uh, Big Bass Record Club $8 million bounty cap that I wore for that episode. <laughs> Hell of ass. Probably worth more if caught on cheese. <laughs> Absolutely. You get Velveeta right there, baby. <laughs> exactly. You go for that craft, that, that, that big craft money. Now you're talking. Oh, now you're talking. God. I assure you they have more money than just about anybody in the I fishing business. can see the, see the commercials now. <laughs> oh, they bastardize that. They probably get the fish and flay it out and put cheese on it or something. <laughs> horrible uh, we're getting down to the end here i think um all right tackle craft is asking theoretically what's the biggest bass living on planet earth right now uh -huh. doctor i'd say there's got to be something between 22 and 24 pounds that's the, it, but how many are there I, I there might only be two or three and where are they you know, that's what really screws with the odds of catching it. Ken, what do you think? I'm, I'm with you there. I'd like to think there are some between 22 and 24. The biggest fish we've ever seen, of course, with any sort of uh, legitimacy was Dottie in 2006 when Mac Weekly snagged her and she weighed 25.1. I think when that fish got caught, most of us gasped. We had no idea they could get that big. Um... I think there are very few uh, bass out there that would break the current world record, but I say very few, and there might be a hundred of them, which seems like a lot, but when you spread them around the globe, it's not that many. Yeah. Um, what is the biggest bass living on planet Earth right now? If I got a guess, I'll, I'll throw out the number 23 pounds. I mean, if we had not ever seen Mac Weekly's Dottie at 2501, would we have even said 25 pounds? I would not have. Uh, yeah. Look at look at what George Perry did with his 1932 fish. He moved the world record up more than two pounds. Yep. And it wasn't, nobody came even close to it until 1973 when a 20-pound, 15-ounce fish came out of California. I think there was every reason to believe in that, in that stretch that that, that 22.4 might never be broken. And technically, it still hasn't been broken. But because we saw Dottie in 2006, we can say, yeah, they get bigger. 
But we also know what happened to Dottie just three years after that. When she yep. died, Dottie she was died. in decline. Yeah. She weighed 19 pounds when she died. So she lost six pounds, you know, in, in that, you know, got up to the hump and quickly went down. Hey, that's what we do too. <laughs> you know, maybe we don't gain the weight until that. A bass is apparently capable of growth uh, almost until it dies, but at some point the bass becomes a, a weakened uh, creature and starts to decline. Can't catch the same bait as before and it, it diminishes. So, BTC is asking the biggest smallmouth bass in Lake Michigan versus Mike Ditka. Who wins? Oh, is this Ditka. Mike? Is this Mike Ditka, nineteen sixty-five, when he's tied into oh. the Bears, or is this Mike Ditka today, eighty-something years old? BTC, if you're going to ask the question, you got to come on. You got to got to get with the program here and ask ask a really coherent question because Terry and I studied for this one, and we can answer, but you got to ask it better. Uh, a few more here i'll go through quick uh people asking about merchandise again um how do i get the a big bass podcast hat like that from angler anthony yeah we're gonna have to do that terry asked him the question again do they want the big bass podcast logo he or... said like that he said like that i say yeah. we put a poll we put a poll out there i say we do a limited run of 50 of those hats um and then we get some more hats and put the logo on them. Well, we'll we'll have to talk about that. Nathan's got to have a say in that. I got I got yeah. no issue with it. Um, I didn't say when. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I'll mention this again. I think I I, I mentioned this in a, in a post to the uh, Hayes Three episode. Our original plan was when we reached about ten thousand subscribers, we would we would we would introduce merchandise. Because then we felt like we would have maybe a big enough audience that 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 it would be warranted, and of course we're just over 1,100 subscribers right now. Um, I don't know at what point it becomes fiscally responsible to introduce merchandise, but but we wanna we wanna do it because hey we wanna wear it too. Yeah, Nathan and I are sick of sitting there watching him wear the hat when we don't even have one, so. Uh, and, and I got this for, for sometimes when I was making a, an appearance, maybe on somebody else's show and I wanted to promote what we're doing here and, and folks, anything you can do to help promote the show, share the show with, with the people who, who, uh, who, who enjoy hearing from you on it, then, then by ah, Jacob, you guys got some great ideas for merchandise. This is, uh, this is yes. small mouth. Yes. <laughs> Walter Harden, my hero. Yeah. Walter Harden. Yeah. To, to know what Jacob's talking about there, uh, you got to go back and listen to the Walter Harden uh, world record small mouths from Florida show. All right. So I'm going to throw one out there. And we did this at Bass Fan when I first came out with a big bass podcast calculator back in 2005. Scott Laney had a bunch of t-shirts printed out that had my uh, formula on it. And I think above it and below it, it said some, some people need it, some people don't, or some people won't, or something to that effect. But I've been thinking about putting that on a t-shirt 
with just size matters on it because if it's not 14 and a half pounds, you can't use the formula. Brown Bay Company's got a great idea. Do a pre-order so we buy just oh. enough. Okay, cool. That's that's very smart. That's what we need to do. And of course, there are, there are places like Shopify that handle see, everything for you. Yeah. You see, we're, we're old people that don't really know how to turn our computers on. So Nathan's all this stuff old. is like, well, yeah, that's true. Nathan's a millennial. Um. Don't, don't <laughs> say oh, it like that. Oh, the way we suffer because he's a millennial. He insists yeah. on a trophy after every show. It's disgusting. Just want some recognition. <laughs> hey, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Never mind. Okay, what do we got from... Yep. Chris says, Ken, the hat leather should be an outline of the state of Florida with the words Big Bass Podcast inside the outline. Chris, you're a genius. I agree. I wish I had thought of that, but uh, thank God you did. Thank you, sir. That is awesome. Because, hey, what we know about largemouth bass is they don't get big unless they're, they have Florida genetics. That's one thing we know. I can't argue with that. <laughs> There's nowhere I could take that. Well, you could argue with it, but you would be wrong. So. Yeah. All right, you ready for one more question? One more. Last one. Non, Non-merchandise related. <laughs> Any info on the Texas guys that had transmitters on the Teener Bass years ago? Uh, let's uh, W-F-O-A-T-T, however you say that. I'm, I apologize. I'm not even going to try. Um, that, I, I think you're talking about John Hope. Um, the guy who was a, a, fish, a fishing guide in Texas and in uh, wow, a long time ago, he wrote a book. And I'm going to try to remember when he did that book. Um, but it was, it was quite some time ago. And uh, he did a tracking study. And, and it included some teener bass. And he did a book. Terry, can you talk for a moment? I'm going to pull it off the shelves. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I mean, I remember when it happened. I don't remember the book. Uh, but I remember there was a write-up in Bassmaster about that. And I, I honestly, I hadn't thought of this until you just brought this, this subject up. Um, so I'm like useless right now. I'm, I'm turned into Vanna White. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I'm at WFO. I'm, I'm, I'm as interested in you to relearn about the subject because uh, Ken's going to bring us up to speed on it. All right. Okay. We're ready. <laughs> I, I failed you. I failed you, Ken. I, I turned into Vanna White in a drop of a hat. Terry only wants to turn the letters. That was originally <laughs> supposed to be his job on the show. And here's the uh, book you're I think you're talking yeah. about. It's called John Hope's Tracking Trophies. And uh, the author's name is Jesse Miller. Okay. Miller was apparently the guy who who they got to actually write it up, but John Hope was the guy who was putting the transmitters in these fish and so forth. And, and this book came out in 2001. And he did most of this work, but it was originally printed in 94, okay? So he did a lot of this work in the 80s. And, and you can see there's a, a massive fish he's got on the cover that they tracked. And, and what the study is all about is how these fish move, including some, some giant fish. Uh, it's a fascinating book. I absolutely recommend it to anybody. And unfortunately, I'm gonna say, hey, I wish you luck in finding this book. It took me years to get a copy of this book. Uh, but if you do find one, it is well worth the read. It's, it's very interesting. 
Um, let's see if I can give you some more information on it. Um, it was published, uh, copyright tracking trophies, T-R-A-C-K-I-N apostrophe trophies, uh, fishing hotspots. The map company was one of the sponsors of this effort originally published in 1994. Uh, but a, a second edition came out in 2001. That's the one I was able to get. This is the 2001 here. I've never even seen the 94. It was probably a very limited run. And then Whiskey Branch Lures adds to that uh, by saying Todd Driscoll did a study on Toledo Bend with transmitter bass. He had some teeners in it. He says you can see the interview with him on Ken Smith Fishing on YouTube. So. I'll have to check that out. Thank you for that, Whiskey Branch. That's great stuff. See, this is a tribe. Yep. This is a tribe. We're out here. We're Terry and I are are, are doing this because we have such a passion for it. And one of the coolest things is to to get to see you guys and interact with you guys, um, <laughs> and uh, and see that our passion is is not alone. And and Rich Lindgren is pointing out the obvious here. Hell of Terry's the eye the eye candy of the show. He's strictly uh, the eye candy. Maybe when I was a baby, <laughs> I've turned into a big hairy beast as older I get. And and walleye channel, Nathan. You, I cannot you, see Terry wearing a hat and covering those locks. Oh God. Yeah, I. I uh, COVID, I just got lazy. I quit shaving and I quit cutting my hair. <laughs> uh, I quit cutting my hair too, but it didn't matter. My hair left me. Brown Bait Company said, you folks are always welcome to come on my live show whenever you guys want. I look forward Thank to you. your next episode. Cheers, this was very fun. Thank you, Brown, Brown Bait Company, Bay. holler at us, man. We're, uh, we're, we're happy in anything we can do. We'd love to be on your show. Let us know. Yep. Uh, if, if we don't have to do something else. We'd love to do it. Um, yep. I'm, I'm, I've been very lucky over the last, I don't know how many years, 15 more years, uh, gotten to do a lot of, a lot of different shows and made a lot of friends through it, including Brian, the carpenter through being on Ike live and the Bass university. Uh, Brian, Nathan and I are going to be doing another show very soon. We're going to call it Bass after dark. Uh, get ready for that. Um, <laughs> getting to know, getting to know the folks at, uh, at, at the different shows, Rich Lindgren's show, the Hellabass show, I tell you what, I, I think Terry, I'll say this, when we did that show with Rich, that was the closest we've ever come to, to, to being on a show that was just like our ordinary conversation. Yeah. And I think tonight was pretty much the same way. Pretty much the and same. Yeah. This whole hair thing's got, got a life of its own. Uh. Majestic lines. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Well, I channel. Thank you, man. Uh, you see, we're enjoying doing. Oh yeah, look at Kim. He, the glare, guys. <laughs> this is we have to paint his head black. I mean, <laughs> it's like a flashlight. There, uh, there are only so many perfect heads, and the rest are covered with hair. Uh. Anyway, well, I channel and everybody else. Thank you so much for the support. Um, I don't think we. Yeah. We could have imagined it would have been like this. So. No, this has been so much a better experience than we thought. Really, we were thinking, you know, there's a chance that we're going to kick this sucker off and we're going to be the only three people on it. That, that would yeah. have been awkward, but we were still going to yeah. do it. Yeah, exactly. 
right, and guys. we really only planned to do 90 minutes, so we wound up doing uh, three, three hours. hours. Almost, yeah. Holy crap. I wanted... <laughs> I wonder how many people are going to watch it the whole way through after it's dropped. <laughs> Craziness. And, and, and I've been so thrilled and, and, and we're wildly flattered. There's still 68 people watching Holy this show. Holy mackerel. Wow. 68. Um, oh, my gosh. Even my wife wouldn't watch this long. <laughs> <laughs> David Zhang is back. David Zhang is back in the pod. Uh, no, David, if I were, if you know me, if I were drunk, I would have told you. I would have told About you. If you want to see me drunk, times. you got to watch the uh, Record Keepers show. I was, I was drunk on that one. <laughs> thank you, Thank Chris. you, sir. And uh, we're planning on doing this about, I don't know, every couple months or so. Um, missed most of it. Go back and check it out. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, Tim, um, we had a lot of good questions coming in, so I uh, hope it'll be worth uh, watching later. We sure had a great time with it. Cannot thank y'all enough for for being part of it, and and uh, like like I said earlier, we give out our email addresses and stuff for a reason. Um, I'll give out my phone number if somebody wants it. It's four zero seven five seven four one eight nine eight. Yeah, I, I I love talking with, interacting with, meeting. Folks who, who have the same disease I do. And I'm not talking about the hair disease of no hair. I'm talking about the, the <laughs> bass fishing over the top disease. Yeah. And I'll All give right. you Terry's phone number later. <laughs> uh, bold move, says Rich Lindgren. Bold, bold move. move. Way bold. <laughs> All right. No, it's not that bold, Rich, because people realize if they call that number, they'll have to talk to me. So most people won't do it. All right, are we going to slam the door on this one? Why not? All right. Uh, it's been fun. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you, everybody. Uh, we truly appreciate you. And uh, like Ken says, hit us up anytime. If you got questions or want to send us pictures, um, just mark them properly. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And good night. See you, Gene.